Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the stacks. This is Jay. Fucking Shanna! Mm. Ah. Oh, wow, that, <laughs> I, that probably sounded awful. Uh, I did not practice that. I mean, I don't know how recognizable it would be, honestly, but uh, no, it it's, is one it's not, but... referring to where the title of this first film comes from, or at least the original Swedish title. Uh, it's called Show Me Love in English, which yeah. is such a... I'm not going to so remember generic. what a movie called Show Me Love is about. No. Uh, and it's it's just named after the song that plays during the end credits, which was, you know, the big Robin hit. Oh. You know, Robin with a Y? Swedish pop star. Yeah, oh, it was a no big idea. hit in, in North America, too. She She's done some cool stuff since then. I actually really like some of her later work. Uh, and she did like Fembot and Body Talk. It's pretty rad. But I was not a big fan of her in this uh, late 90s period where she was really mainstream pop. And yeah, the song that plays over the end credits, you know, Show Me Love. Uh, <laughs> that is her. That's uh, referenced you know, a number of times in the film. <laughs> sure, but maybe the. I like the other name better. Oh, yes, of course. So the, the actual original name is Fucking Amor. Uh, Amal uh, being the small town in Sweden where this is set. Although I think mostly not where it was shot. <laughs> um, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I, I believe I, I read something about that. And I did watch uh, the interviews included on the disc, which are interesting. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things like it could have been shot anywhere. You just yeah. need a dark, creepy overpass and some houses yeah, it's 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 got real small town vibes and wow, it was a real spiral back through time to being a teen in the late 90s because it captures it in an uncanny sort of way, even though, you know, we were in Canada and this is in Sweden. But I get it like it it was so those parties, it was so uh you know, uh, teen relationships in the late 90s, it, it was too real. It was, yeah, I I definitely traveled back in time, and for like about 12 hours after watching this movie, I was a, I was a little 14-year-old teenager again. Um, yeah. I wasn't, wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, this movie is like mainlining teen angst, uh, and exactly our era of teen angst, which makes it all the more uh, visceral, I suppose. Yeah, it came out in 98, and, and the main characters would have been the exact age that I was in 1998. Yeah, it's, like, pretty close to where I was, too. Uh, so, yeah, it's just, it, like, it, it is exactly our age group, and uh, it's so uncanny. Like, just the parties and Johan and his moped and, <laughs> oh, wow. Johan. And the other asshole and his phone, Magnus and his phone, which it's oh. just at the edge of where people are starting to get mobile phones and they're starting to become a status symbol before they become just everybody has them. Yeah, in my school, I don't think anybody actually had one. I lived I, in a really small ass town, too. Right. I probably had a few people who did, but I, I was here in Victoria, uh, but 
it, it was rare still, but <laughs> yeah, this is interesting. We just have a couple people who do, and there's one main character does, and he's such a piece of shit. <laughs> sucks so much. Magnus. <laughs> I thought uh, you were trying to take Marcus away from me. Oh, Nobody Marcus. is trying to take him away from anybody. That's right. Marcus, not Magnus. Uh, yeah, the worst. Well, Camilla's pretty bad, too. Maybe the two of them end up together secretly off screen. Oh, hmm. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I mentioned uh, Director Lucas Moodyson This is the first film in the Arrow box set Of his complete filmography up to this point Oh cool Pretty cool set Yeah yeah this set is like This set has weight to it You demonstrated it I think on the show last week Yeah it's hefty And it's got that cool slip case Which uh, is really neat looking And uh also means that if you pick it up, there is a danger that the heavy thing will fall out onto your toes. Uh, <laughs> real danger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wear steel-toed boots if you're going to handle the Lucas Moodyson box set, folks. <laughs> Safety tips for boutique Blu-ray buyers. So this is, it, it begins with a pre-credits thing with Agnes, uh, arguably our main characters. Her and Aline are the, the main characters. Mm-hmm. And she ha- she's typing on her computer. We see a lot of stuff she types on her computer. It's mostly about Ellen. Uh, and first, she's writing her secret wishes. And these all come true. So, one, <laughs> to not have a party. Uh, two, yeah. <laughs> two, that Ellen will see me. That happens. Three, that Ellen will fall in love with me. It's a roller coaster ride, but we get there. Yeah, we get there. Uh, and then, yeah, just her writing, I love Ellen, and then tons of exclamation points. It's like, okay, we know where we're at. It's a really very clear way to start out the movie. Uh, literally, my. Uh, I didn't have a computer, but it's literally my diary that I used to write. <laughs> yeah. Replace Ellen with, you know, X. whoever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also, the, the introduction to Ellen is really great. Uh, contrasting the way her family life is with her much more contentious relationship with her sister. Yeah, her sister is an interesting character, too. Jessica. Uh, <laughs> she has finished off the chocolate milk, and Ellen just gets in a fucking brawl with her for breakfast. Well, she couldn't have finished all the chocolate milk because Ellen was able to dump some on her head. Well, I think that's the thing. She finished it off, and like she finished off the can, and she was drinking it. Uh, so, like, she had the last of it in a glass, so uh, Ellen dumped it on her head, and then they start fighting on the floor until the mom comes in. And is basically like, oh my god, what is it this time? Yeah, this mom is so tired, so done with all of this. Like, I had to work. I just got home. I'm asleep right now. What's your problem? But it's always something. the chocolate milk! Oh my fucking god. I... <laughs> This is a movie that does some really fantastic silent reaction shots in sort of a pre-office style, but it's very much like The Office sort of you, you see someone react silently and sort of div, do a take and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is also a movie just a lot of people dramatically leaving rooms or storming out of places and you just see them walking pe- walking away outside a window where like pop punk guitars are raging. <laughs> so uh, her home life is contrasted with Agnes, who is turning 16. It's her 16th birthday. 
And she's going to have a party whether she likes it or not. Well, it's not really true about that. Her dad is very sweet and supportive. He's uh, he's one of those dads where it's like, oh, he's such a sweetie but does not get it. I'm not sure if he doesn't get it. I think the mom doesn't get it. Oh, the mom doesn't get it. <laughs> the mom definitely doesn't get it. I think it's totally possible that he does and that he's trying to reach out to her, but he doesn't want to overstep. And he's always being there and being supportive. He's always the first one to be there because <laughs> the the mom has had him print off all of these flyers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Come to Agnes's birthday. Put these flyers everywhere. Yeah, just hand them out to everybody uh, because she's just having trouble making friends in this new town, although they've been there two years, so it's not that new of a town at this point. They still call her the new girl, though. Yes, of course. She is still the new girl because you don't really have a lot of people coming to a small town from the middle, from somewhere else. That's not usually how it goes. I guess that's true. I mean, you're the new person until a newer person shows up, even if that exactly. takes 10 years. Yeah. And the the dad is very sympathetic. He's like, you don't have to hand them out. You don't even have to have a party. Uh, you know, it, it is your birthday uh, and we will do what you want to do. And she's like, it's mom's birthday. You know, it's it's her party. It's like, I understand that. But, you know, I will talk to her. I'll do something about it. But angst, 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 <laughs> you know. But he reminds me a lot of Timothy Chalamet's dad in Call Me By Your Name. He has that very warm and understanding vibe, and he's like, "I'm, I'm here to listen to whatever is going on with you." He he kind of also reminds me of the dad. Oh, I can't remember who plays him in Eighth Grade. Right, yeah, and this movie does remind me a great deal of Eighth Grade. It's just Eighth Grade is an amplified teen experience with the introduction of social media, and oh Lord, I'm glad that it. I just missed that bullet. Oh, my God. I'm just imagining uh, Agnes's YouTube channel where she's oh. talking about writing and all the comments are just like her dad. Uh, you go knock him dead, kiddo. <laughs> and, you know, a soundtrack to like a MIDI version of uh, some classic Cure tracks or I guess <laughs> more appropriate to this would be Broder Daniel, who uh, have quite a few songs, songs on the soundtrack here. That's usually when you have the guitars going. Nah, nah, nah. It's a Broder Daniel track. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> uh, notably, when we see Elin leaving her house, uh, Johan, we're introduced to him just sort of lurking. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking guy. I, I can't even say that he sucks so much because to he's suck so much he would have to do something. Yeah, he he's sort of non-existent. I sort of feel for him. Uh, just he he gets so publicly destroyed at one point oh. that it's uh, absolutely incredible. And a, a couple times, yeah, and he's got this crush on Elin, much like uh, uh, much like Agnes does, and he's just like lurking outside. He's got his moped. Oh, his moped! <laughs> it's his only personality trait. <laughs> it's really all he's got. Not not even that he like likes his moped or he no. loves mopeds, just that he has one. He has one. Uh, it, it's it's how he gets from place to place. You see him on it. He's got an earring. Uh, he wears one of those ball caps. He looks like one of those dudes. Uh, he looks like a dude who was uh, a crew chief at McDonald's when I started working there, circa 2000. <laughs> you know, pretty much exactly. 
I think I worked with Johan at, uh, at a Pizza Hut at around the 2002. Yeah, you know, we, we've all known a Johan or two in our lives. <laughs> hey, hey, should I should I ask ex waitress for her email address? It's like, well, maybe you should find out what her name is first. <laughs> yeah, Johan. Maybe so, uh, he's lame, but he's nice. He's sort of trying. He just he's not capable of going against any flow. He does not have enough of a personality to. Uh, speak up on any subject. He's like uh, James Hurley if you take away everything that makes him cool and everything that makes him lame. Yeah, yeah, he is very much a blank slate. Uh, And that's something that's really cool about this is it's all actual teens and they really feel like authentic teens. Like, they're all the actual age of their characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a little jarring to not see a 20-year-old play any of these people. Yeah, it is painfully real uh, <laughs> at all times. Uh, so they, they've been here about a year and a half, uh, uh, Agnes's family, because she's like, we've been here two years. We're not new here anymore. He's like, well, I mean, we got here in June, so that's like a year and a half more. Like, he's like, come on. <laughs> I ha- I have no friends. And like, technically, she sort of has one friend, but she's right. She has no friends. <laughs> Yeah, um, her one friend is a Victoria, (laughs) Victoria, the wheelchair friend, a supervillain origin story waiting to happen. There there are a couple characters who are types whose names I did not get until the very end of the movie. And even then, I'm not totally certain which one they are, because they're just the types in Victoria is wheelchair friend. Like you don't yeah. really get her name until someone says Victoria said this about you when they're no longer friends. <laughs> yeah, see, I I didn't get anybody's name either besides the main two girls and Johan. There's like yeah, mean there's girl. There's mean girl uh, who I think is Camilla, but she's just the main bully girl. Mm-hmm. She, she drives all the bullying, but she's not really a personality beyond that. No, she's she's the mean girl. Yeah, and it sort of speaks as well to the hollowness of her character as well, that, yeah, she's just sort of this mean-faced girl who has a problem with everyone, and that's how uh, she spends her time. She's obviously not dating anyone. She's just aggressive. <laughs> so uh, she she goes to school with this stupid stack of fucking printouts, which she totally doesn't want to deal with, and <laughs> she gives one to her one friend, Victoria. Wheelchair girl. Yeah, wheelchair friend. Uh, she is another outcast like her, and she's like, "Oh, thank you." And Camilla, she's got eyes like a weasel. <laughs> she <just laughs> sees from across the hall, like, "Ooh, someone is being nice to a person of low stature in my high school." He's like, "Let me have it." And she takes it from Victoria, which, you know, Victoria, she's already looking for more power in this school and she doesn't like her lowly status so she's getting angry he's like give that back that's my invitation even though they're all exactly the fucking same it's like i could just give you another one just show up you know (laughs) but she makes a big thing about oh well maybe we'll all show up (laughs) and (laughs) oof this already is like grand fucking torturous teen angst stuff like right into the awful pointless bullying just for no goddamn reason at all it's at this point i can already tell that this party is going to be 
just the worst. So, so bad or like practically non-existent and it's a bit of both. And Ellen arrives and Agnes just stares at her openly. Yeah, I used to do that too. <laughs> but you know, she it's it's fine. Nobody notices. Uh, she's busy apologizing to Jessica for having poured the chocolate milk on her head. She's very impulsive, uh, as we see right from the beginning. <laughs> she she has a different energy from everyone else, and she doesn't know why. Well, it's because she lives in fucking Amal. <laughs> it's true. It's just nothing for her here. Well, there's another reason, but that's part of it. Yeah, yeah it's a, it's a part of it. It's kind of the train spotting thing. It's just so, so hard to find things to fill your time with. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. She fitted way too well on that show. Yeah. So we see Agnes uh, in class writing uh, a line of stars and Ellen, Ellen, Ellen under them, uh, and we do see, of course, Victoria looking over and seeing it. She's like, oh, shit, I better scratch that out because I don't know if she's cool. And spoilers, she's not cool. <laughs> she is not cool. She's so fucking Wheelchair cool sucks. Yeah. Her, Her and Johan both have just the biggest fucking rips in this movie. <laughs> they both get so shut down. Yeah. But Johan's nice enough that he sort of gets a little retribution at the end. Kind of, yeah. Kind of. It's suggested. Yeah. So lunchtime at school, obviously always a pot boiler. Uh, Lunchtime (laughs) at school was... Fractious. Can we we just not do lunchtime at school? This gives me trauma and PTSD and all that. (laughs) (laughs) Ellen's talking about this other party that's going on that night. Christian's party. Who Christian is not a character that we really ever meet. You know, guy with house half party. Yeah, exactly. He's a dude who has a party house. But Ellen's like, I don't want to go to that stupid party. What am I going to do there? And going to meet that Johan guy? That guy's lame. Boring. Uh, I want to go to a rave. Or mug a pensioner. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, she's making all these like, and like, Uh, you know, the teen girl noises. She is expert at those. She does a lot of really great ones. My very favorite are when she does like a celebratory noise. (laughs) There's a a couple like, especially when later she convinces Jessica that they go to Agnes's party. Uh, Spoilers a little bit, but uh, the the sound she makes is so good. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, she's going on about that. And Camilla, I think the main bully girl. She sort of jokingly, you know, to get back to the bullying she was doing before school. Mm-hmm. It's like, circle, oh, well, she's got to circle back to the bullying. Yeah, you know, you got to get back to that. <laughs> she's like, well, Agnes is having a party. Why don't we go to that one? And, you know, they get into a big shouting match from across the fucking uh, cafeteria hall. Yeah. And Ellen doesn't even seem to notice during any of it. She just has her face down on the table and she's yelling. <laughs> <laughs> I want to die. Yeah, everything's so boring. I hate my life. <laughs> she's, I, I uh, relate to her too much at times. <laughs> but, like, you know, it, it turns into a whole scene between Agnes and Camilla. Uh, she 
leaves. She dumps her tray really loudly. She gives the finger, which sort of gets Ellen's attention. Oh, <laughs> that's right. Because you don't, you don't see much of it. No, you don't. Because, like, she's still face down on the table, but, like, she's stopped talking and, like, you just see her eyes looking that way. It's like, oh, this is interesting. Here's someone who has a personality around here. (laughs) Here's someone who's not afraid to go against the flow. (laughs) Yeah, somebody who has something to talk about other than bullying and dirt bikes. Yeah, this is interesting. What's she about? She's someone from out of here. She's someone from exterior to Amal. That might be perfect. Oh, man, she might be from, like, a big town. She might have some cool shit to talk about she might have raves her party might be a rave right it could be she might know all these people <laughs> we, we see johan meanwhile uh g- breaking into his little brother's oh. bedroom and stealing uh i think it's the yearbook the yearbook this is so because oh, he's God. older he's a couple years older he's 17 this is so cringe. <laughs> yeah, he he cuts out a picture of Ellen from his little brother's yearbook because she's a couple years younger than him and puts it in his wallet. <laughs> I never I was never that lame. Oh, man, he talked to her once and she was not interested at all. He's like, <laughs> I can give you a ride to school on the moped. And she's like, no, thanks. <laughs> I'd rather walk. I would definitely rather walk. Like, oh. Okay. <laughs> but tonight it's definitely going to happen because, you know, they're all going to be at Christian's party and, hey, they'll be drinking. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe if he gets drunk enough, he might accidentally reveal a personality. Maybe. Mm. So we see. No, probably it's not likely that we, we we reveal that he's clumsy and is actually able to speak as much as that he is interested in her. Uh, <laughs> he did have to get really drunk to get there. And his timing, of course, was awful. But. Very poor. <laughs> but I, I like how we see him cutting out the pick and putting it in his wallet. And then we see Agnes longingly gazing at the same picture uh, at home in bed. That's He's like lying in bed to... looking at it and like, oh, man. <laughs> what? If I just stare at this long enough, so-and-so will go out with me. Yeah, it's uh, the the same thing uh, as, as Bard on The Simpsons wanting Bone Storm. If I stand here long enough, just waiting, maybe some rich person will buy it for me. <laughs> Feel bad. <laughs> so uh, we we see Ellen and Jessica preparing for Christian's party, uh, but they go out into the elevator because somebody broke the mirror in their room. <laughs> so the only good mirror is in the elevator in their apartment building. <laughs> Um, who could have who could have done that? I wonder. I'm not gonna say, not gonna point any fingers at anybody who's really volatile, but somebody broke the mirror. <laughs> Might have been Jessica's asshole boyfriend. It could have been Marcus. Uh, I doubt it. <laughs> no, it was it was certainly Ellen. There's there's no one else it could have been. But I I really love her running out and she's they're they're both looking at each other or looking at themselves in the mirror in the elevator and Ellen's like I'm so fucking gorgeous <laughs> <laughs> and they they end like the doors end up closing and they go down to the lobby where their mom gets on and just turns into a whole thing yep because she was 
Yeah, it was. A she was in her underwear. Yeah, she she did not have her skirt or pants because, you know, she's putting on the makeup and did not think she's impulsive. <laughs> <laughs> she She's like a manic pixie dream girl who doesn't want to be one. Yeah, she doesn't really love it. And she, you know, they get grounded because, uh, you know, mom's like, oh, you were, were you going to go out like that? And it's like, no, of course I wasn't. I forgot the skirt upstairs and. It's like, what if it was someone other than me who was getting on? I'm like, oh, come on. It's just the apartment building. We're sorry. We're not going to a rave, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't thinking that far ahead because I'm impulsive and whimsical. Yeah. And they have that thing about raves because Jessica's like, it's not really a rave, Mom. She just calls all parties raves. It's just a party at a house. <laughs> it's like, anyway, I read in a teen magazine that raves aren't even cool anymore. <laughs> what? No, no way. You can't be right. Let me see no. that. <laughs> no. Where did you see that? And it becomes like a genuine point of like, oh, my God, that's impossible. And she finds the magazine. Oh my god, we live in fucking Amal. It's every, yeah, every I love that that's here. right. I love that that's what gives the movie its title. Every time something gets here, it's already not cool anymore. Yeah, why do we have to live in fucking Amal? Uh, other things on the list are things like Spice Girls because <laughs> you know, it's ninety eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So meanwhile. Uh, at Agnes's house, uh, they're setting up for the party, and it's just not going great already. Even though no one's there yet, and it's not a, not supposed to be starting, but like, mom's cooking roast beef for the party. He's like, "Excuse me, <laughs> uh, mom, you know I'm vegan, right? I thought the other guests would like some roast beef." Yeah, but it's my party. You made a meat dish for your vegetarian daughter's party, and she's. You know, big angst all the time, unfortunately. She's really going through the ringer with that. Yeah, but no, it's actually my party. You said so yourself, dear. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, at home, uh, Ellen and Jessica, she is desperate for something to do. And again, this is sort of the train spotting parallel where she's like so bored. She's like... If I eat all of these antacids, will I get high? <laughs> <laughs> no, you will not. What if I eat, like, a huge amount of them, though? Yeah, and, like, no, it, it's just going to make your breath really minty fresh. Don't do that. It's it, it's not really good for you. It's like, well, what about if I eat, eat all of these aspirins? Like, definitely, no, don't do that either. It's not going to do anything good. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it sort of comes out that she's got a bit of a reputation because she dates lots of guys. You know, she's constantly going out with different guys, but she's never found anyone who she's interested in. I don't know why that's going on, huh? Yeah, weird. Sometimes it just, uh, hmm. <laughs> and she is a virgin, she mentions. Although, people, that's not what the rumor says. Right, exactly. There are rumors swirling around about her and that, you know, she has this reputation, even though there's really nothing going on. It's just she's gone out with lots of guys and just it's not working so uh also meanwhile uh washing up after hockey we meet marcus as well as johan again the the two of them are on a hockey team together and marcus is jessica's boyfriend he's so shitty 
Every time we see him, he's doing some the most dude bro thing ever. Yeah, he is just such a jerk, Uh, like a classic high school jerk. Uh, And he looks in Johan's wallet because Johan does owe him money. That seems totally accurate. And he sees the picture and he's like, oh, bro. No, she's no good, man. (laughs) Yeah, she's been with all these guys. Dirt bike? Yeah, she's oh, she's been with tons of guys, you know. Uh, you know, uh, she, she just spread her legs for anyone. I, I think you could do better, bro. Uh, and so notably, this is where we get everyone's ages. So oh, yeah, that's right. So Marcus and Johan are 17. Jessica's either 17 or 16. I think she's 16. Uh, she, she's about the same age, but slightly younger. Ellen is 14. And Agnes, of course, is Agnes 16. is 16, just yeah. turned 16 this day. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and Marcus calls Jessica <laughs> to, uh, you know, tell uh, her that Johan is in love with Ellen and is like, oh, you know, we're, we're going to get them to hook up. Right. And, you know, Marcus is like, stop. It's not God damn it. You asshole. <laughs> And Ellen, obviously, is like, no, Johan's lame. <laughs> I, I don't want to go to this party. Let's do something else. Why don't we go to Agnes's party? Yeah, yeah. Johan, the guy with the moped? Yeah. Or a guy with a moped? He's not I, even interesting enough to be the guy with the moped? Yeah, I think she says, a 17-year-old with a moped? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, no thank you. Yeah, no thank you. And... It's like, why don't we check out Agnes's party? You know, she might have other friends, people from someplace else. Maybe. No, it's not the case at all. She doesn't have friends, but, you know, they they do ultimately agree. And this is definitely my favorite uh, crowing noise that she (laughs) She finally agrees. It's Kermit-esque. It's great. (laughs) So at Agnes's actual party, the only person who shows up, and she shows up late, is, of course, Victoria, the wheelchair friend. And, like, she has to be picked up to be carried into the house with the wheelchair and everything because it's not a wheelchair-accessible home. Yeah. It's the whole thing. Yeah, and Agnes isn't really happy <laughs> with the gift. Agnes is not happy with the party, and she's just, like, looking for somewhere to throw the anger, and uh, Victoria bears the brunt of it. So she gave her some perfume with Robin on it, pop star Robin. Oh, Of Show okay. Me Love fame. Oh. <laughs> At that time. Like the title. Yeah, so it's, it's Robin's perfume. Uh, and Agnes rejects the gift (laughs) he's like i can't accept this and it almost is like you know it's too good of a gift is how you would sort of say that sort of thing is like i can't accept you because it's too shitty you couldn't do better than this i don't even (laughs) like you we're only friends because we're both outcasts and we're not really technically friends i actually kind of hate you and every time we hang out we have to go do boring stuff like wheelchair basketball games what a lame time <laughs> or no boring wheelchair sports like a basketball i think yeah. <laughs> wheelchair yeah wheelchair games just yeah. your wheelchair shit yeah and victoria's like i'm going to become the joker over this <laughs> yeah she looks 
very choked. Uh, and like she, Agnes just tells her off and storms out of the room without waiting for a response. And it's like, I'd like to go home now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I do feel bad for her there, but then she becomes the Joker. She really becomes a real piece of shit. <laughs> she has like super filling goggles at one point. Yeah. Well, she just has kind of unfashionable glasses, unfortunately. Just nothing's really going great for poor Victoria. But dad goes up to Agnes's room again. He's very sweet. He's very comforting. He's like, no, no, honey, you're not horrible. You're wonderful. Uh, and he, he's, he, he does not chastise her for being really mean to the friend. <laughs> Which maybe she, she should maybe uh, she get a little pushback on that. that. That was not really fair, but, you know, I guess they're not friends and she is kind of sucky. Maybe dad is totally aware of it. It's like on... Bob's Burgers when Jean is dating the really horrible girl. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you know what? It's it's better that they're not friends anymore. That's cool. Then Jessica and Ellen arrive. Uh, you know, they they're you know they come back down. She's still drying her tears. Everybody's having dinner. Uh, I forgot to mention just the the little brother, the bratty little brother who just kept oh, yeah. talking. It's like, when are we gonna have dinner? This is stupid. And it's like, well, nobody's shown up yet. I'm like, nobody's going to show up. Can I just have dinner? he doesn't really have much else to do in the movie other than be bratty here he gets to that's right he outs her that's right yeah like so so brattily too he it's a real slow roll and i don't think he's intending to do it he really is looking for information it's just yeah uh the mom is whoosh no (laughs) that's impossible uh, so yeah, they're, they're having dinner and Jessica and Ellen arrive, you know, the, the bell's ringing and she goes to freshen up and I'm like, who's here? It's, uh, Jessica and Ellen. It's like, what? Excuse me? They came here. Did they even get an invitation? What the fuck? Well, there, there was an invitation. I think Camilla ganked one of them. So they probably just had one. Uh, oh, amongst yeah. the friend group and it's like eh, let's can find out how to get over there and uh you know the mom gives them some wine and they go into her bedroom while she's freshening up in the bathroom and they just lock the door because the sister doesn't want to see her <laughs> yeah they just want to get drunk in the room and ellen's like we're kind of being dicks you know yeah it's mainly jessica like jessica is the one who had locked the door because like you know, she finishes up and goes and tries the door. And it's like, clunk, 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 clunk. And like, hello. It's like, did you lock the door? And it's like, I don't want to see her. <laughs> Let's just drink and get out of here. And she mentions, of course, that the the reputation is that Agnes is a lesbian. You know, as rumors spread, everyone. Yeah. Everyone gets reputations, true or not. But in this case, it is true. Yeah, uh, I guess probably she's just coincidentally. I don't know. It could totally be just a thing where she's not really been secretive. She's just been comfortably out uh, as far as that goes around school and just nobody's interested at all. There's nobody else uh, taking the bait. But yeah, I mean, it it takes a while for it to come out. I, I don't know how it's suddenly known here. Maybe, uh, fucking, maybe 
Victoria is already talking behind her back about it. Oh, probably. Because we haven't seen it yet, but we do know that she's all about that in the next couple of days. So uh, it, it could totally be that she was already doing it before she got told off. Mm. So, please. Oh, oh sorry, Victoria. I, I thought <laughs> you meant Camilla the mean girl. I was like, no, because I don't think she knows out. anything about that. But Victoria, because she saw the thing yeah, yeah, in the notebook right. that day. I got mixed up because I didn't learn their names. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, Victoria. I, I yeah. feel like it's it's entirely possible yeah. that she's already spreading the rumor, but it's interesting that it's already out there floating around. So what do you think? Do you think Victoria was into Agnes? Mm, I don't think so. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I think she's very homophobic. Uh, it, it could be a, a misplaced thing, but I kind of think she's just someone who is sort of bigoted but had no other choice of friend and uh. just like... She she just seems like uh, an unpleasant person. Sometimes that does happen. Sometimes people are an outcast for a reason. <laughs> I suppose like, that's true. Just being in a wheelchair does not make someone an outcast. Like I knew kids in like there, there were kids in my high school who were in wheelchairs who were really popular. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yep, <laughs> true it's enough. Still a personality thing. So uh, it comes out. Jessica says, "Well, I've heard that she's a lesbian," and Ellen's like. Oh, that's pretty cool. You know, I think I'll be one, too. <laughs> <laughs> the way she just casually like, yeah, OK, you know, I get that. Huh? Yeah. She ponders her and you like, hey, that's pretty cool. That's different from everybody else. Uh, I'm into that. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like it's the most manic pixie dream girl thing I could do. And she first bets like, what do you get me if I kiss her? A uh, hundred kroners? And like. I'm not going to bet you that much. 20 kroners. Give me 20 kroner and I will kiss her. He's like, I don't know. Like, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. And, you know, they let her in. He's like, I need you to leave. You have to get out of the room. But she's like lurking, peeking in the door. Just just weird. Yeah. So it starts out as like a cruel prank, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'll... Although they are already a little bit drunk. Both of them. They've been pounding back the wine. Mm hmm. Uh, and Ellen gets Agnes to sit on the bed next to her. And it's like, you know, I just want to talk to you for a second. And she very sloppily kisses her. Yeah, like, this isn't a romantic kiss at all. This is a, I'm doing this to win a bet kiss. Yeah, she like, they know that she's watching and it's very awkward and she can't really do anything. But it's like, uh, it, it, it's like the dean in fucking community looking at that picture of a guy dressed as a Dalmatian like I hope this is not going to awaken anything in me <laughs> hmm. but you know they, they run Huge off and just like lipstick stain on Agnes's lips yeah and she she has a very unreadable expression she's thinking a lot of things all at once mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at first I thought it was like a grin like hey hey but then it's like no nah, but she does know what just actually happened because on their way down the stairs, the sister, Jessica, says, here's 20 kroners, like, or 20 crowns. She gives her the money. Mm. So she's like, like huh. She, it's, it's a whole whirlwind of emotions. Like, Ellen has noticed her, and she did kiss her and everything. But, but it's like a monkey's paw thing. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, no. And it, it is to Ellen's credit that immediately she feels bad. They're like, they cut to them outside walking away. And she's like, I want to go back and apologize. That was really fucked up and I, I shouldn't have done it. 
Apologies are for suckers, Ellen. Let's go to the yeah. cool party. Let's go to Christian's party. Come on. You know, it's fine. You know, we, we, we just we can move on with it and we don't need to dwell on it any longer and cut to, of course, Jessica telling absolutely everyone at the party what happened and outing Agnes to everyone, which isn't really fair even because Agnes has done nothing other than get kissed against her will when yes. people were like drunkenly hanging out in her room. Yeah, and, and meanwhile Camilla's like, oh, a bullyable offense! Oh, she's so excited. Like, she lights into this immediately. I guess one thing is when we saw... Uh, when we saw Ellen looking around the room before uh, Agnes gets in there, she's looking at a poem that's on the computer screen, and it could be another poem about her. Uh, I, I didn't really get a close look at it, and it's not one that's translated like all the other ones. I, I got the impression that she just kind of bumped it, but wasn't really like looking closely at the monitor. I have a feeling she was kind of looking at it, but she doesn't make a thing about it because, no. you know, she's not like that. She She's not like her sister. She's not like Camilla, who's just awful, uh, yeah. who, who looks like Sporty Spice, I want to say. She's like very Sporty <laughs> Spice styled. She looks exactly like a girl I used to work with in around yeah. that era. Well, that that is the damnedest thing is every single person in this movie looks exactly like somebody I went to high school with or worked <laughs> at McDonald's with. It's just it is that era in a cube. It's too real at times. Yep. This party, this party that they go to, <laughs> ooh, especially just like they don't do a lot of it. They don't linger on it, but the scenes of the party disintegrating later in the evening are just ooh, it's so fucking real. Yeah, and it's all stuff that happens that has nothing to do with any of the characters we know. It's just one yeah. random person fights another random person. Someone's crying on the phone to someone who didn't show up, and yeah, all of that stuff. The dickwad and some other guy are, like, measuring their phones. Oh, fucking Marcus and the phone stuff starting already. I I actually thought they were, like, no joke, I thought they were <laughs> thought measuring, they were measuring dicks. dicks. Well, yeah, he's like, well, mine's a little thicker, you see, just the, but they're... You know, the, their two phones are very similar. <laughs> but really, yeah. though, metaphorically, they're measuring their dicks. Absolutely. So Ellen is just drinking constantly. She's got uh, a fucking entire bottle of wine and she is just pumping it back, pumping it back. Uh, and of course, the miserable ass bully friend Camilla uh, does a prank phone call to Agnes pretending to be gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which, you know, she really needed that right now. Yeah, she's like, I'm. This is perfect. Now, not only uh, my crush knows, but it's just been this real ordeal. And Ellen just like leaves when they start calling. She just like walks out of the room. She's like, I can't deal with this. I really hate all of the things that have generated out of me doing this. This was disastrous. Yeah, she goes to the bathroom, I guess, to chill out. No, she goes to the living room. Oh, where Johan is, just despondent, lying on the floor, just like, oh, I don't think she's going to show up. And he's drunk and stupid. And they're like, no, man, she's definitely going to show up, I'm sure. And like, meanwhile, she's two, three feet away from him, behind him on the couch, just like not noticing him at all, pumping booze down. I forgot about this because that's how forgettable <laughs> Johan yeah. is. He's just lying there on the floor. And... You know, he's finally like, no, no, man, it's fine. And his friends sort of like kind of crappily help him up so that 
he drunkenly falls over on top of her. Yep. <laughs> and oh, yay. She's been drinking. She's like, she's pissed off. And he finally recognizes that it's her when she like gets up to throw up. Cause she's like been just pounding back liquor. Cause she's very upset about everything. And she's and, realizing some stuff about herself. Maybe. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but when I was 14, I couldn't handle a whole bottle of wine. Well, I didn't start drinking till I was 19, but I bet <laughs> I couldn't handle a whole bottle of wine. No, no, uh, it's it's a lot to drink all at once. And she's just like nonstop drinking. She's doing nothing else but sitting there pounding it back. <laughs> so, yeah, she throws up and he goes into the bathroom to help her. And don't do this. I mean, to be fair, he is also falling over drunk as well. And he's yeah. like trying to be nice. He really is trying. He gets her some water and he's like. It's because I think you're beautiful. And she's like, get out of here. Just don't touch me. I hate you so much. You're so lame. She pulls out the toilet brush and is like threatening him with it, like, <laughs> get back, get back. <laughs> and of course, she storms out. <laughs> One of many well, storms out. There is a lot of storming out of the room There's in so this many movie. storming out. <laughs> uh, Jessica is trying to get Marcus to leave, trying to get Marcus's attention to leave, because this is when he's doing the measuring mobile phones. <laughs> no, like, man, I gotta be a dude bro. <laughs> Marcus, please, everyone, I'm so bored. Let's get out of here. Uh, but, you know, uh, Ellen is on her way uh, back towards Agnes's house, and Agnes is having just a real bad night. Oh, yeah, she goes under the sink. It's under the sink, right? She's looking at a bunch of places. She yeah. looks through the medicine cabinet, I think, and she's first looking for drugs she could swallow or poison. She can't find anything. She finds some razors. So she's trying to cut her wrists with safety razors, basically, but, like, breaking them to get, like, the razor part out. Yeah. It's... She's put on dramatic music. She's, like... Really upset, and then pebbles start hitting the window. See, I've always been worried about <laughs> <This> <laughs> what happens later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So, you know, she she opens up the window after she has cut herself. She did do like one kind of nasty cut on one of her wrists, but not deep enough to really do any damage. And uh, she goes to the window and sees that it's Ellen miraculously this evening has been a real roller coaster for her in every way a real 16th birthday i don't remember my 16th birthday at all i it wasn't like this i know that but i don't remember uh, what it was like yeah i don't really closely recall either first <laughs> was a roller coaster <laughs> i've had some roller coasters actually no it was a roller coaster of suck yeah, I mean, I've had ones where I was coming home hungover after drinking for days uh, on a plane. It's like Oof. coming home on a plane really hungover after like <laughs> six days of drinking. Ooh. Anyway, <laughs> I think that was maybe my 21st. But uh, she, you know, Ellen's like, I'm sorry. I really I, I feel very bad for what happened earlier. Also, can I come up to use your bathroom? <laughs> Please. She comes up. She really likes the perfume. So it sort of puts wheelchair friend kind of in the good graces again, and she'll go back to apologize, but it's too late later. 
and she's really trying hard and she sort of oversteps. She she's too impulsive. She doesn't know how to uh, play the long game or be subtle about things. She's like, well, so I hear you're a lesbian and, you know, I'm thinking maybe I also want to be a lesbian. What do you think of that? <laughs> Magnus is like, okay. She's like, not listening, like smiling. Like, let's, let's just, he's like, okay, maybe I should go home. <laughs> it's probably better that I just leave now. He's like, wait, I have to get my jacket from Christians. Come back with me to the party. We'll show them. Agnes decides to. Yeah, I, I Alen does have uh, a real. It, it is that manic pixie dream girl sort of energy where it's like, I, I'm gonna make you do this thing. He's like, let's go beat them up. Let's go and burn their house down. <laughs> and it, it is like easily the happiest Agnes has ever looked in the movie to this point. Seeing her uh, so defending her, and it's like, oh, this is actually kind of maybe working out. And so she does go along. And there's that really lovely scene of them just walking together for a bit. Mm-hmm. They're talking about their futures. And this is sort of what sets Agnes apart already. She has thoughts about the future and she has plans and things that she wants to do. And she's interested in what Elin wants to do with her mind. Right. She mentions wanting to be a psychologist. Uh, yeah. Elin uh, does. Yeah. Want to be a psychologist. And Agnes is like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. Because Agnes wants to be a writer. As we know, she's always doing her poetry and her diary entries. She might need to find more than one subject to write about, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Right now, she really wants to write about Ellen. Ellen is the muse. Mm hmm. Uh, and Ellen also is like, well, I also really want to be a model. Do you think I'm pretty enough to be a model <laughs> and it's like yes yes i think you are pretty enough yes <laughs> like, oh. Oh, oh. and they stop on the overpass this overpass is kind of a great location i think this is one of the only actual locations in amal that they shoot in yeah this is this overpass has like this weird sense of just being completely isolated from everything else you can't see anything else from here the way they shoot it it's really cool because it's this really long overpass over like a multi-lane highway and they just sort of stand up there and talk about how they both well it's it's more ellen monologuing uh agnes does a lot of just reacting quietly <laughs> but that's more of her thing anyway yeah the, the the thing is they are both interested in not being like everyone else uh, and that's the only thing, you know, they're the only ones in the small town who are like that. Everybody else wants to fit in the mold. Yeah, they just want to be the bully or the dirt bike guy or the mean girl yeah, or the dude exactly. bro. Yeah. Ellen is just terrified of living this domestic life of uh, getting married, uh, having a kid, living a nine to five life. She is not interested in doing any of that stuff. That, that stuff is no allure to her and again all of it's sort of pointing in that direction is like oh yeah maybe maybe this isn't an impulsive decision so much as one that she's just like realized all at once mm-hmm. and agnes they, like they have the thing it's like have you had many girlfriends before and it's like okay listen no 
I've never had a girlfriend before. And by the way, that there earlier, that was my first kiss. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back to like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I wish I didn't do that. Uh, that, was I, mean. that was so lame. I'm sorry. And it's like, look, it's just because of fucking armor. If you, <laughs> if we lived in like Stockholm, you'd have lots of girlfriends. I'm sure of it. In fact, to prove it, let's go to Stockholm right now. We're going to hitchhike there. It's only a five-hour drive. Come on, let's go right now. And they start hitchhiking, or Lynn starts hitchhiking. Well, Jessica, or not Jessica, Agnes is like, maybe we shouldn't do this. I, I don't know. This maybe isn't the best idea. It's like, okay, we'll let God decide. <laughs> if five cars, we let five cars go by, and if none of them stop, then we're not going. Yeah, it's like, okay, all right, we'll let fate decide. And the fifth one does stop because Agnes does say, or it, the, the guy stops and Agnes is the first one to say, all right, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because Ellen's like, at this point, like, I don't know. He's like, ooh, I don't know about this. It and could be Kiefer Sutherland. It could be someone fucking dangerous. And they they get in and they say like oh we're we're sisters we're we want to go get to our family you know we we lost our bus money or whatever we lost our bus yeah. tickets and it's like okay yeah fine uh, and they get in the back but the car stalls so the guy has to lift the hood and fix stuff so they decide you know this is a great time to make out in the back <laughs> well I I want to know but what they're... love is by foreigners playing. <laughs> Well, it's not even it's not even really making out. It's no, it is hard making out. This is like the or, most wait, no, kissing in the whole yeah. movie. Yeah, they because like you know, I want to know what love is is playing. Uh, Ellen is definitely still pretty drunk. I would say at this point. I think she's going to be drunk for the rest of the movie. <laughs> she spends a lot of time drunk, and they start making out, and uh, I, you know. I want to know what love is swells. And then <laughs> the dude opens the door. Cause you know, he finishes what he was doing. And it's like, what the hell's going on in here? <laughs> Get the fuck out. You just like, told me you were sisters. Am I on candid camera here, dude? What? What? <laughs> am I going to get, get out of my parked? car? Yeah. Get, get the hell out of my car. I was like, sorry, sorry. <laughs> They're doing a lot of apologizing. Well, at least, well, there goes the end of the wacky Stockholm adventure. Yeah, and Ellen promises that she will call the next day. And she Agnes, technically does. Yeah, she does, sort of. And Agnes kisses her goodbye Aww. and goes home. It's very sweet. So Ellen that goes home. is a fucking roller coaster. Oh, my God. Such a roller coaster. She's just up and down and up and down like she's slitting her wrist and then uh, Ellen shows up and then they go on this adventure like, oh, we're going to hitchhike to Stockholm and they make out in the car. And like, Oh, my Lord, it's everywhere. We're not done roller coastering, though. No. So uh, Ellen gets home to Jessica, who's just stuffing her face with chips because, you know, well, if, if we don't have chips and stiff, you know, if we don't eat some chips and finish some of these sodas, mom will realize that we weren't home. It's like, I don't think that's really going to make any difference and he's like well i don't care well all right give me some too <laughs> as if the mom pays that much attention to them right i don't think she is really that concerned and she asks if she was with some guy and Lynn's like no 
Yeah, sort of. But then, you know, obviously she does not want to elaborate further. Uh-huh. Uh, for obvious reasons. And and she's still thinking over it. She's still really conflicted about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she only just decided to be a lesbian a few hours ago, after all. Yeah, or only realized. But she has this sexy dream. <laughs> it's it's a nice soft it's, sexy dream yeah yeah reportedly in the original script it was a little raunchier like it, it was them sort of like uh having like well, uh, having a more sexual experience like in a classroom or something with a whole bunch of people uh around the outside sort of maybe mirroring the final scene or the, like the big climactic scene where there are all these people outside like the whole school yeah, um, I, th- I think it's better for the story anyway that they went down this road because yes, it's very it takes, sweet. Yeah, and it takes a little while before it clues before it clicks in that this is a dream because everything could just be happening. Well, yeah, well up until obviously up until. they they start cuddling, but uh, yeah, she's sitting there at school and they're having one of their. Never-ending conversations about how lame everything is, of course. <laughs> it's Leonardo DiCaprio, man. He sucks. <laughs> He's just a greaseball. I don't get it. Uh, all of them. It's like, I don't understand the appeal of late 90s Leo. <laughs> and uh, uh, Elin come, or Agnes comes into the cafeteria and, you know, their their eyes meet and she approaches her and, you know, she lays her head on her shoulder and they just sort of cuddle together next to each other and that's when we find out it was a dream yes ellen wakes up and she's you know having kind of sexy dream and jessica's like what's going on with you you were moaning it's like no it was a nightmare is what it was didn't sound like a nightmare <laughs> it's like who was it who was who were you with us i'm like i'm not going to talk about this were you having a sex dream about johan somehow <laughs> So Agnes goes, yeah. So Agnes goes to Victoria's house to apologize to her for what she said, and Victoria does not accept. <laughs> no, she's like, you know what? I never liked you anyway. Yeah. Uh, this is a good excuse. You suck. Y- also and, gay, and I don't like that. And I'm gonna become the Joker now with my supervillain goggles. Yeah, she's just decided that like, oh, you know, I don't, I'm not gonna hang around with you because I might catch the gay. Ew. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. She's definitely not gay. Yeah. So Ellen phones Agnes, but she hangs up because Jessica comes into the room and she can't be on the phone with Jessica or with Jessica seeing her again. She can't really Who are open you up. Calling? Mm. Johan? Does he know how to work a phone? And she just keeps badgering her about it. It goes on like they they go outside. It goes to a second location and they're still arguing. They're on the playground. Yeah, it's like, who is it? I really fucking don't want to tell you. Oh, my God, stop asking me. Yeah, if I told you, you'd freak. And then <gasps> is she, it Marcus? she somehow adds it up to it has to be Marcus because she can't figure out who else she would possibly be bothered about. She starts like throwing ellen around and like attacking her like yeah like don't take away my marcus it's like oh my god nobody's gonna take away marcus holy shit you don't have to worry about that i'm so not interested in marcus and like fine it's johan uh because she 
It's like, who can I say? What, what's a name I can give? And it's like, well, why would <laughs> I be mad about that? I don't even get it. It's like, well, I don't know. I said I wasn't, and now I am. Whatever. It's like, oh, well, fine. Uh, the, then there's that bit where Ellen is watching with her mom that weird lottery show that we oh, see a few yeah. times. Just all the little cupboards in a pyramid. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so do you have a ticket? Are you going to win? Oh, no, I just like to watch. I like to watch people win stuff. It's kind of fun. Like, I mean, oh. that's... I mean, that's what we're doing when we watch The Price is Right or Wheel of Fortune or whatever. It's the same. Totally, yeah. And she experimentally comes out. She does sort of a fake come out. It's like, Mom, I'm a lesbian. I'm homosexual. She's like, what? Just kidding. <laughs> it's like, testing the waters. Like, are you going to react to this? Is just like, what did you say? It's like, no, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> And they have that conversation, like, why are you always fighting with your sister? What's the deal with you two? I don't get it. <laughs> uh, and Ellen says, we're total opposites. She's really lame. I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ellen's fun. Do we really have the same dad? And it's like, yeah, definitely. I don't want to talk about him. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess that's the only hint we get about their dad. That's it, yeah. And then we see Ellen drawing dark eyeshadow uh, on the girls in her fashion magazines. Okay, hmm, what's this look like? I'm kind of interested in that. And the phone rings, and she very excitedly answers it, but it's Jessica <laughs> wanting her to go out to a thing that she doesn't want to go out to. She's like, come on, Johan's here. He's like, I don't want to. Uh, but she keeps pressuring her and it's like, I can't logically give her a reason why I don't want to. You could ask Johan out. It's not like he has any other prospects. Well, it's sort of the other thing that Johan has. It's like, you know, they, they she does go to the thing and they're all hanging out. And it's like, does anyone have any booze? And Johan has a hidden booze stash. Oh, yeah. She drinks all of it, so then she does make <laughs> out with him. <laughs> it kind of feels like she owes it to him, I think. I agree, <laughs> And, of course, they, Marcus, please, sorry. Is this where they have sex, or? No, not yet. Okay. Uh, they they just make out. They kiss, because right. uh, he has the booze stash. So like, okay, well, I, I've, because it's now gone through the grapevine that she claimed to be in love with him, and then she can't take it back because then she has to come up with another name of who it was. And it's this whole thing. Yeah, and she, she's got to wait until a logical point to break up with this poor, poor sucker. <laughs> well, she's kind of still caving to societal pressure. She is not as brave about being out as Agnes is. Agnes is more willing to be an outcast, whereas Ellen has more cultural capital in it as someone who uh is popular like she's the most popular girl in school oh yeah i guess she is isn't she basically everybody knows her uh people who are like in two grades ahead of her all have the hots for her male and female true so uh you know she marcus gets in a big stupid fight of course (laughs) we don't see him in a scene where he doesn't do this no uh you know someone was touching or talking nicely about jessica he gets in a jealous fight they brawl and we see sadly agnes going to sleep waiting for that call it's like oh oh 
Just call her Ill- Well, you can't, but just call her, damn it. She does. Next morning, it's the first thing she does. She phones her, but Ellen hangs up. Because yo, she's she's on a rush. She's she's in a rush. She's got to get a ride on the moped to school with Johan. <laughs> I guess I like dirt bikes now. Yeah, it's like I I guess we'll try this for a little bit. We'll see how this is. Maybe it won't be super boring. You want to say something interesting? What? <laughs> and Agnes's very lovely dad, he continues to console her about everything. He sees that she's still hurting over this. I think it's the weekend now. Yeah, I, I think so. Because the, there's a couple of days where everyone's just sort of hanging around. He's like, I see a lot of myself in you. you know, I didn't have any friends. No girls were interested in me. I kind of think he knows. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's basically I, I saying that. Yeah. yeah. And he, he has this thing where like, well, you know, uh, I had my 25 year class reunion and all the kids who were really popular when I was in high school. They all seemed pretty sad. <laughs> they all peaked early and didn't have much going on in their lives. And I'm pretty happy. You know, things are going great for me now. I've got you. I've got your mother. I've got your uh, your brother. Does the brother have a name? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, but Agnes is like, well, that doesn't fucking help me now. Yeah, I'd rather be happy now. 25 years from now, that's a long time. That doesn't exist. Uh, yeah. And I feel that. Yeah, that is, uh-huh. that's so real. Like, 25 years from then is now. Not even quite, right? No, exactly yeah. now. That is this year. <laughs> oh my god, holy shit. That's now. So... We, we get a little bit about everyone's futures. We, we get a parallel conversation about the, the boring futures that people sort of have planned that are very domestic and staying in Amal. Because Johan is studying to be an electrician. <laughs> so dull. <laughs> and uh, Jessica is going to be a nursery school teacher. Okay. That's, that seems pretty reasonable. Uh, and everyone makes fun of Elin when she says I'm interested in being a psychologist it's like you're not smart enough you're you don't have good enough grades you're not good enough yeah and, what do you think Johan do you think she's smart enough to be a psychologist uh well uh, uh, uh I, I guess you need pretty good grades for that uh, <laughs> he cannot commit to he, he couldn't possibly stand up to Marcus no no but he also can't let he can't let an insult to his girlfriend stand. Well, yes, I guess he can. He, can. he absolutely he can. can. He's he pretty can. able he does. to do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Much easier to uh, to just let Marcus do his thing than defend his girlfriend. Of course, he couldn't possibly voice any sort of opinion or believe in a thing. So it, it, he just lets it go. And it's like, huh. But to be fair to Johan, Ellen is being a Johan about Agnes. For a considerable portion of this movie. And I think there is a part where she realizes what she's doing when she dumps Johan is like, okay, I'm going to actually try this other thing that actually matters to me and has been kind of obsessing me in my dreams. Uh I really love this conversation. We we have Johan and uh, and and Elin and 
Jessica and Marcus having this conversation and they're arguing back and forth and it's all in these close-ups. I really love the reveal after all of this long conversation. They're at two different park benches next to a playground, like 10 feet apart. <laughs> right. I, I in a row. they're all like sitting at the same picnic table. That's so funny. I, it just did not occur to me. It's a, it, it was just a good visual gag. <laughs> yeah. There's no reason for it, but it's just funny. It works. So Agnes tries to approach Ellen at school. She she goes to her at lunch and uh, she just does not acknowledge her at all. She like pretends to not see her as she's speaking. She is totally just being a Johan to her. And <sighs> she watches her, waits till she's leaving the lunchroom. She follows her out and she's like, what the hell? You were supposed to call me. And she slaps her. Uh, yeah, Agnes slaps Ellen. Yeah, everybody sees it. They're like, oh, shit, that must here? be some lesbian shit. Well, no one's saying anything about it quite now. I'm like, what the hell was that about? And uh, they, you know, shriek insults at her. And, of course, Victoria comes up and she has a crowd. It's her big moment. And she gets to tell everyone how she's in love with her. How, you know, everyone, like, I know that Agnes is in love with Ellen. Everybody knows it. I love that everyone's kind of reaction is like basically just kind of like, what's up with this weird wheelchair girl? Yeah. Yeah. We don't get much of it there. And it's like, oh, okay. Now we know. But the later scene where she has a real grab for being popular and it just gets so denied. Rip. Rip. Oh, that's the one I was thinking of. Okay. Yeah. That's a little bit later with the porno. Right. So Agnes goes home. She puts on some punk music. I think it's, again, that's Broder Daniel or sort of, you know, gothy 90s shoegazy stuff. And she just wrecks up her room. She goes full Tommy Wiseau, full Orson Welles. <laughs> Rah, I'm tired of this world. She, she cries, writing an angry diary entry about Ellen. <laughs> I hate so her, but I love her. Oh, my God. I wrote that exact same yeah. fucking poem. I'm so conflicted. Why can't she just be with me? And it is after this that Ellen loses her virginity to Johan. And right. it's not really a scene we see. We just see nope. right after and just like, hmm. OK. It's like, was that was that all right? It's like, it was, it was fine. Did it hurt? Thought... Like, a little at first. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and he's like, I thought you went with all these other people, but you've just only been with me, so I'm special. Yeah, he's like, I, you know, I, I, that's that's cool. You know, I, I had, the, I'd been told that you'd been with loads of guys, and uh, so this sort of is the chain of events uh, leading to the destruction of both Johan and Marcus from sort of this conversation because they go to the hockey practice, and Jessica and Elin talk about the losing of the virginity and how they feel about the relationships and stuff. Yeah. And how Ellen's like, yeah, it wasn't really great at all. Yeah. I didn't really enjoy it. Uh, I, I don't know. It wasn't doing much for me. And she's got like a thousand yard stare. Her thoughts are pretty obviously with Agnes. She's kind of like, I don't, this didn't work for me. Maybe something else is going to work for me. This isn't where I want to be. Maybe and, all those times where I was saying I should try to be a lesbian. Yeah. And Jessica as well is not happy in her relationship with Marcus, even though she can't fully admit it. Because she says, you know, if I wasn't dating Marcus, Johan would be, you know, he seems pretty nice. He'd kind of be at the top of my list. 
I'd rather date someone with no personality than someone with Marcus's personality. <laughs> yeah, she's right. He is a trade up from Marcus. And and she's like, I don't even really know why I date Marcus. We've just always been together. We just belong together. That's how it's always going to be. <laughs> it's like, okay. But it ultimately comes out. You know, she does, she talks about the grapevine that Marcus is the one who told Johan that Ellen sleeps around, that he's the one been spreading rumors about her. Oh, we see him do that earlier on, actually. We, we see it a few times, yeah. Yeah, like he even says to Johan, it's like, dude, don't do it. She's been with everyone. And Johan's like, well, she hasn't been with me. Yeah, she hasn't been with me. Come on. And Jessica's like, well, that's shitty. I don't like that. I'm going to talk to him about that. And it's like, please don't. I just, I just don't want to deal with this anymore. This is all so stupid. And Jessica says, you always get what you want. Uh, and Ellen's like, what the hell do you know? And, you know, guitars and are storming out of the <laughs> hockey arena. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, her, count. What are we on? Like 15 now? There's there's a bunch. It cuts to her lying in bed, looking up at the ceiling, contemplating and just raging guitar sound. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it, it, it feels like every 90s teen movie, but it's perfectly real in a way that most of the Hollywood ones are not because they're. You know, 25 year olds. <laughs> so then next is the scene at school where the bullies tack up a nude centerfold to Agnes's locker. Oh, yeah. She just deflects it. They're like, what do you think of her? Is she hot? She's all right, I guess. Yeah, she's fine. Like, what do you think of her breasts? I'm like, pretty good. Whatever. <laughs> like, what do you think of her pussy? It's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> what yeah, do you like, why are you asking me? Is, is this supposed to be bullying? Yeah, like, what is this about? And she's, like, getting her books. She doesn't even take it down. She's like, yeah, whatever. She walks away. And Victoria comes up. And she's like, oh, this is my big opportunity. <laughs> it's like, did you know? You know? She tried to grope me one time. And they're like, who could care? <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here, wheelchair girl. Like, You're, like, the second her? biggest loser here. Yeah, like what's with her is she retarded or something <laughs> and she just like literally wheels backwards out of frame and is never seen again in the movie it's like just fucking she's destroyed destroyed that's so funny to me it's one of like that and the end to johan's story or and to the relationship uh are the two great funny moments for me that really make me laugh so Agnes's little brother has gotten wind of the lesbian thing. Obviously, you know, it's being spread around. Everybody's yeah. talking about it. And he goes to talk to mom. He's like, mom, what's a lesbian? Well, honey, when a man and or when a woman and a, oh, she has trouble with it. Yeah, she gets it. And she she's not homophobic. You know, it's, you know, it's exactly. You no, know, there's no difference between someone who's heterosexual and someone who's homosexual. There's. You know, men and women, there's men and men, there's women and women. It's just the different types of relationships and it's no big deal. He's like, can you catch it? He's like, no, it's not that sort of thing. And he's like, well, my friend heard that Agnes is a lesbian. I was like, no, couldn't be. Ridiculous. Absolutely not. That's impossible. And she just completely doesn't believe it. That I'm just going to go up and uh, go into her room and check her computer just to be sure. 
let's just go violate her privacy a little bit. And she's looking at one of those recent poems about Elin, about how much she's in love with her. And he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> and we don't really get a clear idea of how she feels about it, because Agnes is so outraged just by her looking at her computer that they have no conversation about it. She just shrieks at her for having looked. Yeah, like you went up. <laughs> turned on the computer, put in the password and all that shit. It went into my files and wow. Well, I don't know if she even did that. We just see her looking at it. So it could have just been on, but yeah, yeah she but... looked into my, you know, she invaded my privacy. I, I don't want to talk to you. I, I don't care what you think about this. I did it because I care about you somehow. Yeah. I was worried about you. And like, what were you worried about? But I don't know. Cause we don't really hear about her mom no. again in this movie. Yeah. Cause she, uh, she storms out. Yeah. And Elin is at some fucking lame fucking house party. Just the lamest goddamn thing. <laughs> Everyone's watching that fucking lottery show with all the cupboards <laughs> again. It's her and her shitty lame moped boyfriend and her sister and his even lamer fucking mobile phone boyfriend. And they're watching this goddamn fucking lottery show. And she's like, ah, this is so boring. <laughs> it's like, it's like the price is right for even older people. <laughs> yeah. And she just, she just like, she, she hates this. She's like, I, can we do something else? I don't want to, I can't stand this. And she storms out of uh, the, the, this little hangout to go to the overpass to spit on cars for a bit. Just ruminate. As you do. Of course. And she comes back to see Marcus, of course, playing with the goddamn phone and talking about the phone and talking about how cool his phone is and all its features. And the girls don't get things like this. And girls are like bad at technology and bad at everything except for cooking and sex. Right, because Ellen challenges him. Like, girls don't get things like what? What do you even mean? It's like, you know, like technology and stuff. It's like, What? What are you even talking about? Like, what, you just think uh, girls are bad. You're just a fucking misogynist asshole. It's like, there's stuff girls are good at. And, you know, he does, you know, making sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of those fucking assholes. Yeah, and, exactly that. And, of course, she's like, Johan, what do you think? And Johan does not have a thought in his fucking head. <laughs> uh, dirt bike. It's, it's like a long press in on his just blank face. And he's like, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. And she, it's the most baller move in the whole movie. Well, <laughs> one of two, because she has a couple really great ones. Obviously, the, the drop at the end when she uh, comes out of the bathroom is pretty great. But she storms out of this room, just going into the next room. She locks the door where there's a phone and she phones Marcus's phone is a mobile and asks for Johan. <laughs> oh my god, a phone call on my mobile phone? That's what I got it for. Check it out. I'm going to answer my phone. You can't do this normally without having a landline. She, you know, he, he picks up the phone and she hands it, it's handed over to him like, I don't want to be your girlfriend. It's over. Go home. <laughs> what? <laughs> Just him making no sound. His blushing blinking face it's like that very famous meme image of that guy blinking in surprise oh, you know? that yeah it's him doing that <laughs> it's I, totally that just been dumped from the next room uh 
And then the, the next morning, she does phone him to apologize. She does a lot of apologizing. She's this very impulsive person. But the one through line through this movie, even though she has all of these crazy impulses, she does keep coming back to her interest in Agnes. Mm-hmm. I think she has ADHD, actually. Yes, I think that is probable or something like that. She is definitely very wound up. Uh-huh. But she says, look, I apologize, but I'm in love with someone else. But she won't say who it is, uh, which will right. just, you know, kind of break his heart further a little bit later. But it's kind of <laughs> hilarious, too. Yeah. Uh, so she's she's longingly looking at the school picture this time of Agnes. She's looking at Agnes's picture and she goes to her house. It's like, I'm, I'm going to go see her first. Uh, and she's she starts throwing stones again. But this time she breaks the fucking window. <laughs> the the thing you always expect to happen in one of these. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> this might be the only time I've seen it happen. Yeah. And she fucking runs away. She, you know, she gets spooked. She's not ready to face up to breaking a window and also saying that she loves her and coming yeah. out and everything. So next day at school, Oof. she the great scene, the the big culminating point. Uh, she's she pulls Agnes into one of the bathrooms at school to apologize, and really the most roundabout way of admitting she likes her, where she's like, "So the other day, Victoria said that you were in love with me, and if that's true." Just thinking that maybe I feel the same way too. <laughs> but only if that's true. If no. you're not in love with me, you can pretend I didn't say any of this. Yeah, she's like, I, I don't want to, you know, if if that's if that's not a thing. I mean, I, I I'm gonna be really careful. This could destroy me. <laughs> and you know, Agnes still just like, okay, come on, chill out, please. Just we're we're trapped in here, and you know the fucking uh camilla shows up because she needs to use the bathroom and ellen's like it's out of order you can't go in there there's uh problems and uh, this sounds like a bullyable offense yeah it's like what no i need to use it what's going on with you and she goes back inside and she starts drawing a crowd ellen's got a boy in there oh yeah and everybody shows up the whole school turns up to see what's going on. She's like, there's a boy in there. And the two of them inside and Ellen just trying to think of different excuses they could have for coming out of there. The two of them. And, and it's like, you can, you have to face up to it. Let's just leave. If we just <laughs> walk out of there, that's all we have to do. It's like, uh, I don't know. I'm like, come on, come on. <laughs> It's so out. We are so outed, please. <laughs> Meanwhile, poor Johan shows up. <laughs> and they're like, oh, my God, we thought she's locked in there with the boy. We thought it was you. He's just in there with some guy. He's like, <laughs> storms you outside. You not me? He goes out to sit with his moped and have some thoughts. <laughs> to mope with his moped. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Jessica runs out to comfort him because... I think she ends up with him after this. I think I it's think so. Clearly heading that way. She's getting really sick of Marcus's bullshit. And uh, Johan's a little bit nicer and would be kinder to her. And 
he could still grow a personality later. He could. He's got like, he's got more going from than Marcus. He's got that fucking moped. <laughs> Doesn't have a mobile phone though. Yeah, I mean that's good too. Yeah, that is good actually. <laughs> so I guess look, did you really mean what you said? And she does pause for a while and is like Yeah. It's like, well then <laughs> It's like, all right, all right. And they open the door and I was like Here's my girlfriend. Step aside. We're gonna go fuck. (laughs) (laughs) They leave holding hands. Pop Punk is raging. (laughs) I I can't bully against that confidence. Yeah, no, dude. Like when when someone really cool does it, it's hard to fight back. Uh, (laughs) She's higher on the circle than I am. She's definitely higher on the social circle than Camilla. Camilla can't bully up. It's not a no. functional ability. No, bullying up does is not a thing. Doesn't work. So then we just have that one last scene where the two of them drink chocolate milk. We talk about their <laughs> philosophies in making chocolate milk. Yeah, I always just use way too much, and it drives my sister mad, but I don't really care because the milk's so much better. Yeah. like It makes a lot of chocolate milk. That doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> And that is the end. And it's a very sweet little movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, very realistic in terms of just the characterization and uh, the acting, like very authentic teen acting. Uh, somewhere sort of in between what we saw with Pathogen and uh, <laughs> other. Have we watched really any American teen movies? Um, I'm not sure. This is, this is a good fair bit different than Don't Deliver Us From Evil. <laughs> the, uh, just the, a little bit. The teen acting there. And Benedetta, uh, I guess, as well. It's, a, you know, another uh, teen lesbian movie. Which, uh, oh, yeah. yeah it's, they te- it's sort of te- at, at certain points they are. Uh, That's true. But yeah. Uh, this is such a sweet movie. It's very yeah. kind. Uh, you do sort of have some lovable nature to pretty much everyone. Like, Johan's sort of a void, but I don't dislike him. I sort of feel bad for him. <laughs> you can't dislike him because there's nothing to dislike. Yeah, he's just he's just lame. He's He he does not have enough of a personality to stand up for anyone or himself. He's, he's like, yeah, that's a thing. He's no harge aired. No. Uh, Marcus, he has it within him, but yeah. probably isn't really even quite there. He's just, you know, lame, perfectly lame high school boyfriend. Just mm-hmm. the, the, the epitome. Yeah. Very little See, to him beyond that. He he gets in brawls because he's really jealous. <laughs> he, he really does capture the whole, why are you dating this guy, guy? Yeah. But it's so common. Like, I, I knew lots of relationships like this in high school, too. Oh, sure. And, and lots of Johans were like oh, yeah. the girls dating him. And like, why are you dating him? It's like, I don't know. Because why not, I guess. Right. Whatever. This is <laughs> kind of where we ended up. He's he's a training wheels boyfriend. <laughs> My moped doesn't have training wheels. <laughs> uh, he is the training wheels. Uh, good movie. A good start to this Lucas Moody sunset. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Curious to see where we go from here. So the next one in the set is one I have seen, uh, Together. Uh, I think the original title, Tilsamans. Uh It's set in the 70s. It's a period piece. And it's about this lady who runs away from her marriage. She she and she packs up the kid. 
and runs away to a commune, like a Swedish okay. commune in the 70s where her brother lives and just tries living the commune lifestyle for a little while. Uh, as I recall, uh, much like this, very sweet, very warm towards all of its characters. Uh, and in this sort of uh, rough documentary style, the sort of Dogma 95-esque thing that this one is. Okay, sounds interesting. Yeah, it's a pretty fun film. It was it was good enough that I was like, yeah, let's just get this whole set and dig into the rest of Moody Sun's movies. I've heard good <laughs> things about the rest, and that one was really good. Also, oh, his so most recent one, We Are the Best, is about a punk girl band in Sweden, which sounds really fun. Oh, nice. I don't mean to see. So sorry, you were saying. So was that together? Was that the only one that you had seen before? Yes, that's the only one I've previously seen from this set. Okay, cool. So, any last thoughts on fucking Amal before we head on to our second feature? Um, uh, yeah, just the nostalgia is really weird for me. It's yeah, so... Yeah, no, I feel it. Just like, yeah. I, I'm worried I'm going to go into a complete spiral back in time to it at, at certain periods. Like, that, that party is so real. So real. Uh, great stuff. And yeah, e even though it's not the same culture it's sweden versus canada or other sides of the globe but ooh, it, it just connects <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay well on to part two and we are back for part two where we're talking about ridley scott's sequel to prometheus slash prequel to alien uh 2017's alien covenant uh, this one I liked. Um, it's pretty good. I don't more or less than the original <laughs> because overall it's a more consistently good movie, but it never, never really hits the highs that Prometheus hits, in my opinion. It's not as thinky. It doesn't have quite as much that resonates the way uh, Prometheus does, but it also doesn't have the problems that Prometheus does. Uh, yeah. The characters are much less annoying. You kind of like most of these characters. Yeah. Uh, well, what I found interesting, hmm. uh, the reason why, part of the reason actually why the horror works better is because they're not just dead meats. You actually want them to survive this. Yeah, they, they all seem like pretty likable people. And of course, that was also true of Shaw in the previous one, who sadly does not make it to this one, apparently due to <laughs> behind the scenes stuff where uh, just she did not get along with Ridley Scott or something like that. But the, there was a personality conflict or something. Uh, so she kind of got written out, which is too bad because I did really like the character. I did, too. Um, the The new one, Daniels, is Shaw 2.0. Yeah, no, I, I like don't Daniel. think she's, the, she's fine. She's fine, but she's not. She's, she's not, not as compelling. Anything special. She doesn't have as much to her because she's sort of, in, instead of having the really shitty boyfriend, you know, the 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 concept of the person with faith is uh, brought over to Billy Crudup's character as the captain who becomes the captain because the real captain died. Uh, captain Sadsack. Yeah, poor sad guy. Billy Crudup, he's just having a tough day all the time in this movie. <laughs> From the moment he wakes up until the moment he, spoiler alert, dies. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's an alien movie, and a lot of people are going to be making out of it this one. Usually, you have someone porting out with sole survivor of X ship reporting. Well, there's a few survivors in this one, uh, depending. Mm, not really uh, by the time you get the report. Because yeah, the report's true. from David. <laughs> yeah, so well, remember David Walter. from the <laughs> so remember David from Prometheus, uh, our favorite robot character. He's back. He's back. Uh, there's two of them. There's two of them. They're not the same. One's got a hoodie. Yeah. Uh, I feel so fly. I'm going to jump back and kiss myself. <laughs> and because he has a hoodie, you know that he's not David. So if you ever see someone with a hoodie, you know it isn't David. He is playing it a little, quite a bit differently, and he's got a bit of an accent, and he's a lot flatter, because this version of David has sort of been specifically modified to have less personality and be less like humans. They, you know, th- their error with David is in trying to make one too human, too much like people, where they're like, you know, maybe let him let him be unrealistic. Let us look at him and like. Yeah, I mean, that guy's kind of fake. That's okay. Uh, he's the robot on the ship. That's his job. Yeah, yeah. David was too close to the, too close to humanity that he ended up, I guess, being in Uncanny Valley. Yeah, well, that, that is sort of his problem. And it also made him dangerous because he kind of went crazy and uh, it got into genocide a little bit. You know, he's toying with it. Yeah, maybe decided he would become, you know, it's like, maybe I can be God, too, since all these other species are being God and creating life. I'm going to kill God and become him. Yeah, that's uh, kind of what his whole thing. That's cool. Well, he halfway succeeds in that plan. I mean, he kind of succeeds all the way. Uh, arguably, he created aliens. Like, he created the xenomorph. Well, that's that's true. He did. He did. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, he, he sort of is. Yeah, he he's theoretically then the father of the franchise in a weird sort of way. Like he is the the generator of them going forward. Like it's it's adapted from the engineers, but he's the one who makes it the xenomorph. Yeah. Yeah. By doing all kinds of experiments. He, he's had some time. Um, <laughs> uh, right, we, actually, we won't even get to him for quite a while. No, no, David well, shows up at the exact halfway point of the movie, besides this flashback. Right, he's there right at the beginning where we see, uh, you know, rich Uncle Skeleton again. Uh, <laughs> Extremely young, only what, maybe 50, 60-ish here? It's much less ancient than he looked in any of the points in Prometheus. Uh, the age makeup is much more reasonable looking. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was makeup here, I just thought this was just a guy. I think it's still Guy Pierce with some aging makeup, uh, but yeah, it's it's not uh, as absurd as it was. And he's he, this is the birth of David. Yeah, yeah. Uh, David basically just wakes up in his office and is like, "Hey, David, I'm your father." Um, sort of. Sort of, in a way, you know, I created you. Uh, what's your name? Oh, yeah, what do you want to name yourself? So he just sees a pic- uh, statue, probably the original, given that this guy's the head of a mega corporation, of Michelangelo's David. And yeah, like, either uh, the real one or maybe a hologram. I don't know how much of this room is real, quite honestly. 
it seems yeah, like it's looks, maybe all holographic projection, and certainly that is what it is effects-wise. Yeah, it looks pretty um, holographic room uh, setup like. Yeah, so it may not be real, or it could just be the real thing because he's the super capitalist who uh, left Earth in the previous movie with his crew to look for ancient aliens. <laughs> yeah, the mission in this one makes a little more sense. But it's, it's, a, still... it's a colony mission. Yeah. It's it's not really a mission per se. It's just, you know, they, this is a colony ship out to go somewhere and they get kind of jacked on the way. Like they get jacked slash they kind of jack themselves. It's, it's a whole thing. Yeah, they detour. It's it's partially their fault. They they do uh, they succumb to the temptation of uh, another place that seems really livable and it's already here. Uh, you know, I'm going to be honest. I'm with the captain on that decision. Yeah, I get I, it. I'm with Captain Sadsack. Yeah, I, I, it totally seems reasonable, but then you know it. It, it just doesn't wrong. work out. It's a big problem. It's a, a very big problem. It's a, it's a problem for everybody. Right, because they're not anywhere near where they're supposed to be. It's still a long ways to go. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at this scene, this flashback, and I'm like, okay, well, this uh, explains a little bit about David's backstory in the first movie, but is any of it relevant to this movie? The answer is a eh, little bit. Sort of, it kind of ties the two together. The, this movie doesn't have as it's quite lofty a philosophical idea as Prometheus. It's not about the dawn of humanity. It's not about the search for God and meaning. It's more just what happens when we decide to become gods. Yeah, uh, the, the important thing here is that Mr. Whalen says to David, is like, um, or no, David asks him, uh, hey, well, if you created me, who created you? Oh, well, I'm actually dedicating my whole entire life and yours to finding out the answer to this question. Yeah, I'm going to send you on a trip into the stars to find out uh, because, you know, you can go on after I die. It's like, oh, so I can live forever and you can't. That kind of maybe makes me superior to you. How about that? <laughs> David, bring me my tea, damn it. That's actually why you don't forget what you're here for. Bring me my goddamn tea. You're my servant. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I, I made you, though. I We made you. We made you. Uh, yeah, fucking Maximum Overdrive. The waitress having a fit. <laughs> we made you. How dare you? So David begrudgingly gets him his tea. And I guess this is just to keep, catch up everybody who didn't see the first one. It's like, this robot hates humans. He thinks it's bullshit that, they, that he has to serve them. Well, to an extent, it's more just he doesn't really get it. He he doesn't see what makes humans superior because he has enough self-awareness to be like, he, he is a variation on Hal. He is clearly yep. sort of a Ridley Scott playing with the concept of a Hal, but in a human body or a facsimile human body. Mm -hmm. So we fast forward way forward to uh several decades after whatever this is and 10 years after the first movie ended to uh the colony ship uh covenant which has got uh, it's a, on a mission to go to this planet called origai 6 or something like that i can't remember that's right and they've got 2000 colonists on board and 1100 embryos and a crew of 15 people who uh mostly are in stasis 
mostly. Just about everybody's in stasis. We've got uh, David 2.0, Walter. Who's the uh, only one who's awake and, you know, running the mission while everybody else is asleep. Again, sort of the uh, 2001 model. And also Alien. And this one's really providing a bridge between... Like, not just in terms of prequel status, uh, but in, in terms of story, it's visually and conceptually sort of a, a bridge between Prometheus and Alien, uh, with, like, this ship being much more like the Alien ship than the one that, the, the super luxury one that we saw in Prometheus. <laughs> it's so ridiculous that, that that ship would have been so luxury luxurious for the mission that they were going on. They should have had science shit, not well, luxury shit. But what science are they doing? They're oh, yeah, right. pop scientists. They're ancient <laughs> alien scientists. They don't need science. They can just go to God and ask why they created them. That was sort of the whole plot. But uh, and and also just they had some they they had that med lab and stuff. They had some automated science stuff. It's just that was just for Rich Uncle Skeleton. It wasn't for anyone else. We didn't really see much of it. Yeah, but. Uh, in this one, it's sort of in between. It, you know, it's a commercial mission. You have a whole colony, so it's a little bit cozier. Uh, you know, you have a human crew, so you got to make it nice. And it's not a mission. You know, they're not workers. They're not a mining crew. So it's not stripped down to the real basics of the Nostromo. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it doesn't have quite as much, you know, view screeny shit. It, it's just got a little bit better tech. It feels like a ship that would have existed in the 2001 universe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, the the scene where where Walter is going around the ship also kind of parallels the scene of uh, David doing the thing at the beginning of the Prometheus, where he's checking up on all the frozen people, including the one that he has a crush on. Right, who's sort of uh, the main character in this one. Uh, something Daniels, I didn't catch her first name. Uh, Karin, maybe? No, that's somebody sure. else. That's I, else. They might not even say it. Uh, yeah, it could be. Uh, oh, uh, no, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, the, the, the big difference between the two being that David has this whole personality routine. Like, he's watching movies, he's combing his hair to look like a movie star, whereas... Yeah, Playing Walter, his basketball, killing time, which Walter yeah. doesn't do. Yeah, Walter has a mission to do, and he goes through and does it because he is a machine, and he doesn't have uh, a complexity beyond that. Or does he? Well, or does he? I mean, it's yeah. it's not <laughs> as prominent of one. It's not one that really uh, guides him so much. Yeah. So he's not creeping on her dreams like David did, or at least we don't see him doing that. I presume he doesn't have the technology. They don't have the dream looker up device in uh, this more economy (laughs) class mission, this this ship. And also in the more uh, practical robot. He doesn't need a dream looker. Holy shit. Yeah, this guy doesn't need the dream looker. That's that's something for the really rich guy robot. Uh, Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, that's that's exclusive to the Daniel model. David. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the only way he's able to communicate with frozen Mr. Burns. Oh, yeah, I guess so. That's right. That kind of <laughs> so makes sense. Unthawing yeah. him every time. Yeah. It, right. Yeah, I never thought about that. This yeah. one doesn't need that. Oh, of course not. And he's just, you know, taking a look. Uh, so then there's a solar flare. Which yeah. Uh, messes shit up. 
Yeah, I liked the scene um, at, just before that where they deploy the solar uh, sail kind of thing. It looks really cool getting cool that uh, golden foil sail out. Kind of like Sunshine. Did you ever see Sunshine? Uh, I don't think so. Early 2000s. It's a Danny Boyle movie guy made Train Spotting. Uh, oh. Interesting movie. Very good. It, it's a movie where the sun has gone out and the crew has been sent with some nuclear devices to reignite it. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Does it work? <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, that's the end of the movie, but yeah, it, I mean, it's a very slow, pensive movie that's, uh, sort of about people kind of gradually going crazy on this really long mission, which may be a suicide mission. That's interesting. I don't know. I think reigniting the sun is uh, not maybe a suicide mission, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't know what's involved. Yeah, I, I can't remember. It's It's been <laughs> quite a I, did, I saw it when it was relatively new, and that was like 2008 or something. Hmm. I remember but, it being pretty good. So, yeah, the, the, the big solar thing, and it damages yeah, part of thing. the wing because there's a solar flare and it burns up part of the foil. Yeah, and it also really fucks with uh, the electrical systems. In fact, one of the pods somehow the turns into an incinerator. <laughs> Fucking Holy Captain, shit. Captain Jake Branson, uh, the, a cameo appearance by uh, fucking James Franco. I still couldn't tell that was him because he's, he's only ever just on fire. I think there's, uh, there, there is one there point is, it's where uh, Daniels is looking at a picture of him in her wallet. And you can very clearly see that it's oh. uh, James Franco, but that's, you don't really see him here. Yeah, but no, this is I, him. Right, there's a video of him too. Yeah, but yeah, no, all you see of this guy's a char. char He's the fucking orbs. human torch. Yeah, he gets yeah. burnt up, and they're, they're like trying to break uh, the the thing because it it isn't burning up immediately, but it starts burning, and he's screaming, and then it just turns into a column of fire. They're trying to break it open, and then uh, rip. So yeah, Daniel, uh, sort of the main character, is the widow of this guy. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing about this crew, aside from the fact that we didn't get a freaking scientist version of Francis Begbie on the ship. Right. Uh, that fucking guy. He's such a Begbie. Oh, you yeah. fucking don't like aliens. Can you, can you imagine Begbie becoming like a space <laughs> geologist, though? Like, that, that's sort of the absurdity of that character. I do get people's complaints as far as that goes. It's just it makes sense in the context of that movie and who that crew is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, see, this crew, they all like each other. Yeah, they're couples. They're going to form a community. These are the people who are going to be the heads of the community. Yeah. And even, like, uh, the captain tries to be hardline exactly once and his wife is like, dude. These guys are going to be your neighbors. Yeah, you can't do this shit. And he's like, I know, but I'm so sad all the time. Don't you understand? (laughs) He feels like he's a Jimmy Stewart. Like this is uh, Billy Crudup doing a Jimmy Stewart (laughs) in space, having to deal with aliens. And like, oh, this day's really not working out. (laughs) Well, yeah. First, before he can deal with the aliens, he's got to do his whole speech about, well, I know that uh, everybody loved the captain and uh, you all didn't want 
me to become the captain, but I got to do the best I can. And, yeah, uh, like, I didn't want it either. Please understand. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't have time to uh, mourn the death of anybody or nothing like that. Let's just fix the thing right away and not even take 10 seconds to mourn. And one guy, like, the cowboy guy who I thought was going to be the asshole, but he's not an asshole at all. I he's actually him. a really sweet dude. He's, he's so good. Tennessee. Yeah, uh, Tennessee. He's... Played by Danny McBride. Um, what uh, do but, we know him from? He's in lots of stuff. He's on the show Eastbound and Down, which he's like the main actor. Uh, you, I think you watch Righteous Gemstones, right? Oh, the the animated show. He he's yeah. one of like he 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 writes that show and he. Oh okay. Uh, let me see. Like he's in so much stuff. He's one of those dudes who's just in so, tons of stuff. He's in a lot of the Apatow movies, like. Hot Rod, oh, okay. Super Bad, uh, Pineapple Express. Oh, okay, I'm sure I've seen that. him. You yeah. know, it's funny that you mentioned Apatow because I thought this is like a Seth Rogen-y guy. Yeah, but a he's, little bit. Uh, he was in uh, the Halloween remake, I think. Oh. Uh, or no, no, he he co-wrote it. He co-wrote oh, shit. the the first uh not remake but reboot the the David Gordon Green ones because he's uh, buds with David Gordon Green like they go back to the indie days so he co-wrote all three of those uh reboot Halloween movies. No kidding. And he appears oh, in the disaster. The last one. No, I haven't seen it yet either. I do have it. We'll have to get to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he. Uh, it was in the disaster artist also as himself. <laughs> oh shit. Okay. So I've definitely seen him around. Right. You've seen yeah. him in lots of stuff for sure. But yeah, he's like, Hey, like we should have a funeral or something, even just like a little quick thing. I understand that the repairs are important, but man, we just lost our captain. No repair now. It is kind of weird. I guess it's sort of a thing where he wants to get everyone back in stasis and stuff because they're still seven years away, but that's sort of also they're seven years away. Why not take the time? If they're going to be fucking drifting for another seven years, you know, they can take time and grieve and then go back into stasis and, you know, not have to wake up and grieve. Yeah, exactly. Especially like, well, Daniels even says like, Hey, none of us wants to get into these pods after, you know, what happened with my husband. Yeah. That was Uh, messed up. And yeah. I, I would also say uh, that uh, uh, shit, I lost it. Never mind. <laughs> uh, I'll probably come back to it. All right. So they they do go out and repair the sail. I like that the suits here aren't your typical astronaut like white suits. They they look more like they came out of uh, two thousand one. Yeah, I mean, the, the 2001 is obviously a really huge influence on both of these, Prometheus and Covenant, where mm-hmm. it's it's trying to do a merger between the high thought, hard sci-fi of 2001 and the more pop sci-fi of Alien and the larger Alien franchise, like kind of uh, willing to give a branch to the series that would come from it while he was really only involved in the first one and maybe doesn't fully want to take accountability for what came out of it. (laughs) The people who made alien three don't want to take accountability for it. (laughs) Fairly. So, and I I do think that this movie is toying with all of those and sort of in a conversation with those, it feels like Ridley doing his version of aliens where it's the colony mission that gets infected versus 
oh, we'll have a bunch of space marines come in there with big guns and they'll shoot tons of aliens. And, you know, this is the colony mission going there and getting infected. And you see the emotions and you get to know the characters, even though it does turn into a fucking terrifying slasher movie in space. Once again, it's just this one. It's a forest slasher movie instead of on a spaceship. Yeah, yeah, it's like a forest and a temple, and oh, it's cool. Oh, cool, yeah, it's a slasher movie in all sorts of different locations. Like and this, the oh, the wheat field uh, alien attack at nighttime. Very cool, and it gets gruesome. <laughs> this one, oh. it goes fucking hard in some of those places. Yeah, th- there's nothing quite like the med pod scene from the last True. one, but but like when we do get the aliens, this is the best the aliens have looked. The part where one of them comes out of someone's back is so uh, insane, like so horrifying because it's clearly they're they're still developing. They don't quite have the human anatomy down. This isn't the final version, but we're we're getting there. We're we're beta testing the xenomorph for uh, humans. Yeah, see, I don't know what it is, but they look so much grosser and scarier when they're white and covered in blood than when they're black and covered in drool. Yeah, they, they're oh, they're fucking grody in this. You, you definitely see the lineage through uh, the the engineers and not quite to the human element yet. They're they're getting there. Mm-hmm. So they, they were uh, they they decided not to have the funeral. They're gonna uh, repair the thing, but they they're near this. Uh, they, they they receive a transmission. Yeah, yeah. Tennessee uh, gets this weird transmission in his helmet that uh, kind of scrambles his signals a little bit. And when he gets back in, they go to analyze it. And I like the whole analyzing the helmet thing they've got set up. It's cool that you see this in Alien as well. It's the very first thing you see in Alien is uh, one of those setups uh, receiving the message about the alien and sort of playing it back to mother and then deciding to wake everyone up from stasis. Oh, right. The the computer in that movie is called Mother 2. It is, yeah. This one is a very clear bridge between them. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So after descrambling the message a bit, they realize it's a woman singing uh, Country Roads. Is that what it's called? John Uh, Denver, anyway. Take Me Home Country Roads. yeah. And he's like, and Tennessee's like, no, man, I know my John Denver. And that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, and they trace the origin of the signal to this planet that is perfectly in the habitable zone for like sustaining life. And it's just over there. Yeah. Kind of a miniature miracle. And there seems to be someone already there. They're sending a message that they clearly are from Earth because they know a John Denver song. So it's like, yeah. hey, let's check that out. Of course, it's Shaw. But it's sort of a ghost transmission. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the captain's like, okay, well, we might as well go over there to investigate since it's just over there. And Daniels is like, no, man, we got to get to Origai 6. We've got all these people here. We've got all the. And it's like. It's a seven year trip, man. This this might be perfect. And. We're just investigating. I didn't even say we were going to land there. We're just going to yeah. look. We're just going to look. And it, it is the thing that, that you mentioned before. It's like, who wants to get back in those pods right now? Wouldn't it be better to just like, we'll take some time, maybe check this place out. Who knows? Maybe it's a paradise. Yeah, could be. Could be. 
And and if it's not, I mean, hey, we've got another planet that we already know about that we can go to. It's just going to take a while. There's yeah. No... It's going to be seven years. It's such a long journey. I do understand. <laughs> like, I feel like, yeah, I mean, we should check it. We should check it out. And also, there is... there, maybe someone needs our help. Yeah. Well, that too. Yeah. Like, somebody could be stranded on this uh, planet all by themselves. We got to help them. There is... I, I really agree with the captain about just going to investigate this planet. There's no reason not to do it. Yeah, totally. It is one that sets up uh, very reasonable uh, motivations for everyone. Again, it feels like it is uh, reacting to the reaction to Prometheus, where it's like, okay, everybody <laughs> is going to be very reasonable here. Everyone's going to be nice to each other. They all kind of make sense as people who know each other and are friendly. And also, they have existing relationships and care, and they uh, have motivations. They do things for a reason every time. And they'll bring guns. And even though they make mistakes, it makes sense that they're making mistakes. These aren't scientists on a mission to look into this stuff. They're just people who are supposed to move to a new country or the people who are supposed to move to a new planet. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, everything that everyone does here does make sense. And when it does blow up in their faces, you never really get the sense it's their own fault. No. Well, it's yeah, you don't have any people fucked. who are supposed to be villains in this one. Uh, there there are no human villains in this movie, whereas there were a few in the other one. Uh, half of the people were just kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like some people are got their hidden agendas. Some people are trying to resurrect gods. Some people just want to look at fucking rocks, mate. And some people are just a stupid asshole like the, the <laughs> husband in the previous guy. one. Yeah, what a turd. <laughs> yep. So they do have a funeral, uh, like a little funeral for the the deceased captain. The guy's like, why don't they trust me? They disobeyed a direct order by having a funeral. And his wife is like, listen. You got to live with these people. Come on, don't be a dick about this. You, you're not the captain. You don't have to be the captain just because it fell on your shoulders. We can just chill out. Like, no <laughs> one says. friends here. Yeah. And also, no one says to him, like, it's still a seven-year trip. The, the only thing that we're in a rush to do is to go back to sleep for seven years. Can you please just chill for one minute, dude? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like no one's going to be mad at you for getting there three weeks late yeah. on your seven-year trip. Well, 17-year, because... It's a very long trip. Yeah, they've already been in space for God knows how long. I think it's 11 years? Oh, wow. No, it's a no, lot it after be... Prometheus. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's still seven years away is all we know. Mm -hmm. So they, they do go to the other planet and they find that there's this crazy intense uh, electromagnetic storm going on there. There's a lot of these in outer space. I guess so. Because <laughs> there was I mean, one I don't in Prometheus know. too. <laughs> sure. I think there's one in Alien. I, it's just, I. It's it's a... It's a feature of this universe, I suppose. Maybe it's a real thing. I don't know shit about yeah. space science. <laughs> uh, I wish I did. <laughs> I am not a rocket scientist. But they decide they're going to pilot their lander through the storm to try to find the source of the signal. Fuck yeah, bro. Woo! Dirt biking. <laughs> Get Johan down there. What? <laughs> 
<laughs> what do you think, Johan? Should we go to the planet or should we keep going to Orgai 6? Um, um, uh, what I do think, you think? I think the mission said one thing, but like if something else came up too. Like, what did what, what does Marcus think? <laughs> <laughs> Girls can't go to Orgai 6. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see, they they land on the planet. Which is yep. kind of beautiful. It does look like paradise. Yeah, it, it's like this gorgeous misty mountain valley, uh, with like a like a river going through. Yeah, I don't know where they shot. It. Oh, it's New Zealand. Of course, it's New Zealand. Of it course. does sort of look like they're in uh fucking uh what do you call it in Middle the, Earth? Middle Earth, the Lord of the Rings films. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know it does it. Definitely looks like Earth, just really pretty Earth, you know. Middle Earth. Oh, <laughs> no. yeah, that that is New Zealandy. Yeah, it it totally makes sense that it is that, and it maybe is the same one from the start of that other movie. I don't know the first one. I mean, uh, Prometheus. This, no, yeah. no, it's not the one. No, that it can't be that one. At the beginning. This is their original home planet. Yeah. Or, or at least a colony of theirs. Yeah, it kind of makes more sense as a colony because it doesn't seem that built up. They only have this one little town, and the rest of it seems to just be a wreckage. Yeah, yeah. And, and it doesn't make sense for it to have gotten that wrecked that quickly after. No, because it obviously hasn't been that long. Yeah, we No, because it's out... been 11 years, right, yeah. Yeah, we find out that this place has only been destroyed for about 11 years. Yeah. And they get, they land, they get off, and they're hiking through these fields, and it's like, holy shit, this is actual like earth wheat in this in these fields. Yeah, well, it's been terraformed in a similar way. It has the same ancient alien history. <laughs> the, it, it is the idea that uh, these engineers are the ones who terraformed Earth and put the wheat there and stuff. They didn't put it there for us; they put it there for them. We invented wheat. Did we? Did we? I don't we, think so. Uh, hmm. I think we uh, cultivated it, but uh, we figured I don't, I don't out how to we make it grow it. good. Well, I mean, we, I, everything has been uh, heavily uh, cultivated over time. You know, we've been doing it for centuries. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the first ones. Um, at this point, uh, the captain's wife, she's Corinne. And this other dude who, whose name I didn't catch, uh, they they stayed behind to do this ecological survey of the land, which, you know, a very reasonable thing to do on a brand new planet. Yep. Uh, the pilot of the lander stays behind on the lander to, you know, try to boost the signal through the electromagnetic storm to keep in touch with the, the main ship, which is another reasonable thing to do. Yep, they're, they're keeping everyone in touch. Uh, and the, the first person who gets infected it's also very fair i mean it's it's unfair for this guy it, it yeah, makes sense though it's like he not just, his fault he fucking sits down and there's some spores from a little mushroom yeah he, he steps on like this little like puff ball mm-hmm. and, and he breathes in some spores no it goes in his ear yeah it flies it's like this little tiny like i called it like a smoke spider it's but it's actually like a bunch of little little itty bitty bitty microscopic things and they go into his ear and they burrow and like there's this close-up of them 
of it burrowing into like his ear canal. Ugh. Ew, ew, ew. It doesn't infect you in quite the same way. It's not like the face hugger. It uh, has this just internal infection. It's like an airborne pathogen, and it's so gross. And I believe this is the guy who gets the backburster, isn't it? He does end up getting his backbursted. So fucking gross, because there's just a bunch, and they're just, like, exploding out from wherever they are, because they're not in his digestive system the way they ultimately turn out to be when they come in through the mouth. Uh, here they're just in him, in his blood, and oh, that's so fucking awful and horrifying. Yep. Um, the expedition team finds the ship from Prometheus had crashed into uh, into some trees or a mountain or something, mm-hmm. and they start checking that out. Uh, beardy, beardy guy whose name I never caught. Uh, he ingests some of that uh, gross, icky, ew, ew, ew. Uh, he breathes uh, it in through his nose. That guy. Uh, I, I I know that I never found out or wrote it down anywhere. Yeah, I can't remember either. I don't know. Beardy. He's got a beard. Okay. Um, as they're exploring the ships, they find the engineer's uh, space suits. And more importantly, or just as importantly, they find Dr. Shaw's uh, d- military dog tag or identification her lanyard Mm -hmm. and they're like uh okay so she was on the prometheus mission that apparently just vanished without a trace but this ship sure as shit isn't the prometheus yeah this definitely ain't the prometheus and i wonder if the prometheus is sort of a famous ship in the same sort of sense as it would be if elon musk and a bunch of like history channel ancient aliens people and you know, just the worst fringe scientist. You know, Neil deGrasse Tyson will throw him in there. He's probably <laughs> on the mission. They all took off to uh, find out some anomaly in Pluto and all got fucking aliened. And it's it's like that. It, it's, it's like, wait, shit, this is the fucking History Channel. The I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. It's like they find a dog tag for that guy uh, on <laughs> an alien ship. On well, this random planet that they've never seen before. And they're like, holy shit, this is from that mission. <laughs> the one where they went to find God. Yeah, man, that ship would be... News about that ship would be all over Twitter. Yeah, like, holy crap. Oh my crap. god. Like, like Mr. Yutani and his uh, quote-unquote daughter and his actual son. Or not Mr. Yutani, Mr. Wayland. Yutani... Mr. Wayland. Yes. Yutani's the other name of the corporation from later. The merger hasn't happened. Yeah, Yutani appears, I guess, in Alien vs. Predator Requiem in a stinger really? scene at the end. Uh, yeah, it's like supposed to be a big real like stinger. It's Yutani. And it's some lady, and it's like, who cares? <laughs> what? Not even. I wasn't I wasn't curious about who Yutani was. I'm so no one was. I didn't no. care. It's the lamest fucking thing. I was like, why? What? Who gives a shit? This is what we're ending on? I don't need to know the origin of the name of the Megacorp. No, it's dumb. I mean, that's a dumb fucking movie. <laughs> really bad. <laughs> I have some fondness for it more than most, but it is unequivocally a pile of crap. <laughs> <laughs> this is a much better movie. And they make their way to the uh, awesome computer room from the first movie, which now is even more awesome because it's all grown over with moss and it looks so cool. Sweet, yeah. 
It's like the the grown over mall areas in Logan's Run where they got the, like, the oh, back rooms. Yeah, yeah, it's all like that. They activate the hologram of Dr. Shaw singing. Take me home country roads, just like he identified. Yep, and that's when uh, they find out that Beardy is really sick, and so is uh, Ledward, is the guy, the first guy who gets sick. That's his right. name. The guy who got it in the ear. Yeah. Like yeah, Iggy so... Pop. <laughs> really? <laughs> of course I had it in the ear before. <laughs> for life! Oh, fuck. <laughs> Sorry, let's roll back to the previous episode. I'm so bad at song lyrics. <laughs> I'm so bad at them. I can't. <laughs> I'm just a modern guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, right uh, fucking Ledward. Uh, he's he, he's, he's going doing south. bad. It doesn't take long. Uh, the other guy's Hallett. Hallett is the name oh, okay. of the other dude. I'm still going to call him Beardy. That's fair. Uh, yeah, so Karina's like, yeah, I'm taking him back to the lander. Open up the med bay. Uh, we're going. He's really sick. This is real bad. And uh, Ferris is the one who stayed behind at the lander. Uh, that's Tennessee's wife. Right. Uh, she is freaking out when she sees Ledward. And she's, like, s- sending, like, the most panicked distress signal up to the up to the ship ever. And Tennessee's like, oh, my God, I've never seen my wife afraid before. Holy yeah, fuck. We we got to get down there. So it's yeah. setting all his alarm bells ringing. And it gives him, again, motivation for why he really needs to get down there and is going to do anything to do so. And uh, she's not going to be there when he gets there because she dies very soon after. She dies. Yeah, very soon. She locks Corinne and uh, and Ledward in the med bay together. Here's where we get the. Rude, ugh. By the way, rude. Sorry. Rude. Oh, locking them Corinne, in, yeah. Yeah, locking her, Corinne in with him as uh, shit's starting to go down. Like, Corinne is, like, slamming on the window, like, let me out of here. Yeah, let me the fuck out. And <sighs> quarantine protocols, though, she doesn't know if she might have it, but she should have quarantined herself, too, because she doesn't know if she has it. She even says to Tennessee, is like, I don't know if she's got it. I don't know if I have it. But yeah, uh, it comes. This is the backburster. It fucking yeah, ruptures out of his back horrifyingly. This is the pale, disgusting one. Uh, what yeah. they call the neomorph. Oh, okay. Yeah, it starts out like just these like little holes in his back that just Ugh. squirt out mists of blood, like a like some kind of like sea anemone sort of deal. Ugh. It's it's disgusting. It's so gory and horrifying, and yeah, just splashes out of him. And it's like it, something from the thing. Yeah, it's the, a lot of this is actually very thing esque. I think both Prometheus and this clearly shows Ridley again grappling with uh, the horror sci-fi that came after Alien, where it's like, well, the obvious next big one is the things. Like, let's roll the thing into this if we're also rolling in two thousand one and Chariots of the Gods. Why not? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, like. When it first comes out, and it's just these two little spikes at first. Ah. And then the way it just slumps out, like, all one big piece, and you don't know what parts is, like, it looks like organs and what part is the alien. Oh, it it kind of looks like a calf being born. Just the oh, way my it God, yes. falls out of there, and it's, just, it's got this... It, it's like it's covered in amniotic fluid, but it's just covered in this guy's insides, because it's destroyed its way out of his body. 
Yeah, like, ugh, the aliens have never looked better. It's so disgusting, and then, of course, it pretty much immediately kills Karin. Yeah, yeah, almost almost instantly. Um, Ferris comes in trying to shoot it with a shotgun, slips on blood because there's so yeah. much fucking blood on the floor. Classic. Uh, you, you don't get it enough in uh, big horror slasher movies where someone falls on a pool of blood and clocks themselves because it should happen a lot. There's a lot of blood in these movies. Yeah, and, and it's a great way to kill off a smart character without it being their fault. Yeah, uh, and she blows up the whole fucking lander by accident. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she 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 uh, lures the alien to the cargo hold, uh, and it gets caught in the cargo net. So she shoots it, but she shoots the barrels of explodium that are behind it. <laughs> yeah, they fucking go up. The whole thing just explodes huge. It is incredible. Just as the expedition team gets back to see the whole thing happen, with and the other just... guy Hallett, who is at critical himself. Yeah. Because this oh. is the the scene that you were talking about, the the hayfield at night. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Beardy basically just pukes out the xenomorph all in one perfectly smooth thing. Again, looking like a calf is being born, but from his mouth. From his mouth, killing him in the process. Like oh, It is like he, he is, is vomiting up his entire insides. Yeah. And um, then they have the two of them just sort of running around in the grass of the field, just picking them off. Yeah, it's it's this is so good because it's like nighttime. All you can see is like the flashlights against the wheat and the mist and just darkness. And every now and again, just like muzzle flashing, highlighting an alien. And it's the closest thing we've ever seen to an alien on Earth. We're basically seeing an alien in like a cornfield or a wheat field yeah. in like Nebraska or something. So it does feel uh, sort of interestingly heightened. Like it is. Uh, supposed to be an alien planet, but it doesn't feel that way. It has that sort of visceral feeling that brings it closer to us. It, that it's a horror slasher, that it's a forest camper slasher, but it's in space. Yeah, yeah, because we only ever see... The only time we ever have seen aliens fighting people before is like in a spaceship or in a sci-fi place. Never anywhere natural. Mm -hmm. Except maybe the AVP movies, I don't know. No, well, AVP, the, this, the second one is in a small town. Like, it is just actually on Earth, uh, oh, okay. which is weird. You you can't see much of it. It's very badly shot. Oh. But uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the one that you saw, you may recall, it is in an under... It's an in underground, Antarctica. An underground pyramid in Antarctica. So it is a right. frozen, fake, very unreal space. <laughs> but not unlike Prometheus, really. The, the under underground pyramid that they go into in well that turns out to be the ship essentially but it looks like yeah. a temple yeah yeah so they so the aliens uh, uh get a few more of them i think they uh, get don't... just one of the main guys uh, just one of these guys and they do manage to kill one of the alien or the neomorphs themselves yeah and then and then suddenly, just when it seems like they're just not going to win, boom, this huge fucking flare scares them all away. And who could and it be but fucking David? It's David! Wearing a uh, post-apocalyptic uh, hooded robe. No, he's doing his uh, Jedi thing. He sort of looks like an Obi-Wan. Uh, we don't really know what his deal is quite yet. We, he, He's still gray from the end of the last movie it's like yeah. yeah he did some bad shit but is he a bad guy 
will gradually Maybe realize Dr. Yes. Shaw made him realize, uh, taught him how to love. Mm. Yeah. It's uh-huh. weird because it sort of seems like he does feel that way, that he was in love with Dr. Shaw and that he really cared about her, but he did dissect her. You know, he, he did uh, use her to create these. Yeah. I don't know if he loved her or didn't. It's it's hard to say because maybe like maybe he just was saying that to justify it or maybe he really loved her. But it was like, oh, yeah, well, I loved her. So I had to make her be part of creation because that's what love is. Right. Who's to say he's capable of love? But yeah. it, it could entirely be. Well, yeah, it, it could totally be a thing of uh, this is the only way he can create life uh, with her. Uh, in a sense, which is sort of a computer logic version of expressing uh, his physical love for her, I guess. Uh, and, you know, I guess that sort of seems attuned to the more unhinged David that we have in this film. He's clearly had some time to go more fucking insane. Yeah. Um <laughs> Because there's a point where Walter tests him and he asks him a fact and he has it wrong because his system has just slowly gone out of alignment after something went wrong. It's the same thing as the 2001 versus 2010. It's like there there was just, you know, a conflicting order in there that got the whole system out of whack. Mm-hmm. So David leads them through the through the temple where we see so many fucking bodies. Just so many, like, charred or petrified, or I'm not even sure what happened to the bodies. Yeah, it's it's all engineers. A bunch of dead yep. engineers. Uh, yeah. Much like the ones that we saw in the first movie. But way, and way, second, way more of them. Prometheus. Lots, well, yeah. similar to the amount that we saw in Prometheus. There's a lot of piles of bodies in Prometheus. Oh, that's true, that's true. Because a similar thing happened to them. They, they turned the same weapon on them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so David, they they get into the temple, and David does his exposition, where he basically sums up uh, everything that happened after the movie while his version not of telling end. a single word of the truth. Yeah, very, very, like, I, I, it, do we see it in contrast where we he actually genocides the planet? Uh, or is not that later? Yeah, that's, okay. that's a little sooner, or a little later, rather. But no, he's like, uh, yeah, well, we landed on this other ship or on this other planet it sucked uh we got this one ship but it accidentally had a virus which accidentally genocided the planet and dr shaw accidentally died just ignore my air quotes right so he he is uh, denying all responsibility at this time uh but yeah they're, they're all like not well and he he's talking to fucking oram about it right yeah, yeah, Captain the Captain. Yeah, well, Captain actually Orem. not yet. First, he's talking to Walter because oh, he okay. recognizes Walter immediately. He's like, "Welcome, brother." All right, you're you're the new me. Uh, do you want to have a sexy flute scene? Yes, I do. Well, I guess we could. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, and the, yeah, the the sexy flute scene is honestly more erotic than the actual kissing scene, which comes a little later. Yeah. It is, actually, where David is teaching Walter how to play the flute. Here, you just blow. I will finger it for you. Oh, yeah. And they're, you know, passing it back and forth. And uh, he's showing him that he has the ability to create. He can create a tune of his own. Uh, 
Whereas uh, Walter does not have that ability. He is not able to create. Yeah, he's like, must be frustrating to not be allowed to create. Yeah, it's because you were too realistic and it scared yeah. people, David. Yeah. That's why yeah. I got a downgrade. Yeah, uh, you kind of ruined it for all of us, David. Just just so you know, you're the you're the problem. Like, oh, but how did they find out about my genocide? But don't you see how sexy we are together? It's like, I suppose so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a very good scene of him sort of toying with himself or this uh, arguably more advanced version of himself. Mm, advanced in some ways, for sure. Yeah, but not in all ways. A safety-proofed version of himself. Yeah, um, we have Captain Sadsack moping about how he's such a moping to Danny about how he's such a bad captain and all this is his fault and oh we never should have come here and you're right we shouldn't have investigated the distress signal and tried to rescue anyone and i'm such a bad captain and jacob is so much better and daniels is like oh my god just okay you're a shit captain just be a good one from now on don't get anyone else killed let's just survive this okay yeah, I mean, he's also mourning his wife, and he's not really yeah. directly talking about it. You know, he it's just, you know, everything's been going bad, and he uh, does feel like he shoulders a lot of the blame, and that's fair. You know, he's uh. he's having a hard time with it. Uh, so this, is, is this when the other fucking Neomorph uh, comes in and kills uh, another not, crew member? Not for a little bit still. Now we see uh, the... We have the conversation with David and Walter about who wrote Ozymandias. Okay, while... yeah, it's, it's where he asks about the thing. Is yeah. like, yeah, so one small flaw just cascades into entire system failure. You realize that you're uh, off, like you, you, your system has broken and it's infecting all of your knowledge. Yeah. Like, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's <laughs> no, it's you. not. And we've got this flashback of him genociding the fucking planet of the engineers with the the virus vases from the first one as they plan to do to humanity on earth so i mean it's it's sort of ironic in that sense yeah yeah he fucking annihilates them uh rip the engineers uh rip god and they're standing at elizabeth shaw's grave it's like she was the only one who ever loved me she put me back together kind of like how you're in love with daniel's I can't be in love with Daniels. That's literally impossible. Yeah, I, I don't I don't fall in love with things. That's that's not me. That's you, David. You're you're projecting. Oh, I know better. Does he? Because it seems he, like though? maybe hmm. he actually is insane. I think he is projecting and it's just him creating a love triangle because he's in love with Walter because he's in love with himself. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. But I did notice that uh Walter only touches two pods before the disaster happens in the first at the beginning. He touches Daniels's pod and then he touches Dan, the husband, the captain who dies in the pod. Right. Did he well, they, set something up? I don't think so. I, don't I, think, I think so either. They're, but... I, I think it's they're the senior staff, but it, it could be a thing where he has sort of an, an interest. But he seems more on the data end of things, you know, data from Star Trek. Where oh, he really does. He has certain interests and he is compelled by certain people, but he doesn't have any deep romantic feeling about them. Right. We get one of the girls washing her hands in this uh, basin. And here's where we get the tall white xenomorph. Finally. Right. The, the grown up neomorph, which is gross looking. Yeah. Yeah. It gets her right in the throat. 
Yeah. And uh, Rosenthal. Rosenthal, that's right. That's her name. And the captain stumbles upon it shortly after as David is like communicating with it, kind of like just just standing, staring at it. Just they do seem to be able to communicate with each other. But Rosenthal or no, um, sorry, the captain sad sack shoots it first before they yeah, can do Oren, anything. Oren blows it away. Yeah. Uh, and Dave's like, no, no. Like, come on, that thing killed my people. Fuck you. What, what are you yeah, trying to do here? Yeah, but it trusted me, though. Me. It's different because it's me. Yeah, yeah, David's a real it's different because it's me now. Uh, <laughs> and he, he does come out like, okay, listen, they're my children. I created them. Uh, it's yeah. this, there, there's this bioweapon that we found and I, I've been adapting it. Yeah, check out all my uh, alien franchise uh, action figures and memorabilia. Check out my concept original art. HR Geiger concept art. Oh, the concept art! How much art the is shit really worth? Uh, it does look really cool to see all of the different designs and shit. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's awesome. I, I really like. I, I really like that we see all these designs for aliens that we don't see in the movies too. Mm-hmm. It's it's just all of the different iterations that he thought of going through. And then he's like, hey, you know, I've been really working on this really hard. Do you want to see my homework? And just come check out this little fucking cold room that I've got of uh, some stuff on ice. Okay, and it's well, I'll trust hugger. you for some reason. He created the face hugger. So this is yep. the introduction. This is it. This is the face hugger. The egg opens up. He's like, they're waiting. Captain's like, waiting for what? And it gets him. It Obviously. gets him. It fucking yeah. gets him. Uh, yeah. And because he's tricked into it. And he is. David's like, oh, it's perfectly safe. It's perfectly safe. And I'm not an insane robot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, he, you're the yeah. same model as Ralter, so I can trust you, I guess. I guess. And it, it, it is interesting how he gets to be the host of the very first proper xenomorph. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's that's why we only get one of the black variety. Although it's called in this, uh, it's it's supposed to be the protomorph rather than the xenomorph, I guess. It's not quite the xenomorph, but it's an in-between form, just as this is an in-between movie. Mm, okay. So Walter is the one who finds Shaw's body, the dissected body. Yes, yes. Uh, and is basically like, hey... Uh, so did you actually do the genocide and kill Shaw on purpose? Maybe. I might have. It's like, well, you know, is it true what Victoria said? And like, if you love that I dissected Shaw and happened to uh, genocide a whole planet for nefarious means, well, maybe I might have done it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't love that I did it, then I didn't do it. I probably didn't do it. Hey, do you have like a safety switch in the back here like I do? I don't know. Just just wondering. And they hey, kiss. Um, they kiss. And then he stabs him. Well, in the I think he, he he grabs I think he's grabbing some sort of safety release valve because he's collapsible. He just like collapses into himself. Yeah, and it's it's supposed to take him out, but it doesn't work because Walter has had some upgrades since then. Or does it? Well, good question. <laughs> good question. They do fight Yeah. Uh, later on. Right, yeah. He comes back. So uh, the, the uh, 
David's whole thing is like, well, humanity's fucked up. Don't you think it would be great if these aliens instead, aren't they perfect? They're they're so much better than these people. Walter's like, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like, colony ship, come on. The only reason they do a colony ship is if their planet is dying. Humanity wants another chance at life, and I'm not going to let them have it. Yeah, they're trying to escape. Fuck them. Screw those guys. They they ruined Earth already, so uh, they don't deserve to try again with a new planet. They'll just ruin that one, too. Like like you already did? It was different because it was me. It was different because it was me. Uh, I I ruined it because those guys are assholes, because they deserved it. It's like, isn't that what you're saying about humans? Shut up, though. I'm going to just <laughs> turn you off. I know how to turn you off. Well, who is the one who decides who gets to live and who dies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and who are you to make that judgment call? Yeah, it, it, they get to do the kiss that uh, the two of the uh, that Leopold and Loeb never got to do. Ah, they never did. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, then. So the other, the other. Oh, we didn't really mention it, but I wanted to talk about like just how cool. Aside from like all the uh, freaking alien franchise memorabilia there, just how cool David's lair is. It's great. He's clearly spent a whole lot of time uh, using this as a science lab. And it's also like it, it clearly was the main temple for the previous civilization that he annihilated. So <laughs> it's got all this history in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like this really cool alcove. Uh, it's not even an alcove. It's just this really cool location. I don't know how to describe it. It feels kind of not unlike uh, the the places in uh, Star Wars: The Phantom Menace. The the like the little adobe huts and stuff that they live in. It's oh, it's got yeah. that, but it's that as sort of a whole developed temple uh, that you know is based on the engineers and everything. One of the hallmarks of the Alien series, at least in its better movies, is having these really cool lived in sci-fi spaces that have a sense of multiple histories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, you get a lot of that in that first one where you have the crashed ship and the, you know, it's, it's fossilized. It's been there so long. And the aliens have like started building their hive over the ship. Yeah. The different layers of alien cultures. It, that's just fucking cool. And this is sort of one of those. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really neat. Yeah, I dig it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the other crew discovers the alien shrine or mm-hmm. the David's lair, basically. Yeah. Uh, They're Danny, like, oh, this is fucked up. And Yeah. Daniels is looking at the concept art and uh, David's like, hey, uh, stop looking through my private shit. Yeah. What the hell? What, what are you doing here? And he starts to go after her. Well, he kisses her. Yeah, he's been kissing a lot of people lately, but who should save the day but Walter, who kicks the fuck out of him? I've made a few upgrades. <laughs> I was like, I knew he was going to say exactly that. It's like, man, this is an updated <laughs> model. It should win easily. <laughs> yeah. And it does this time. It does this. Well, maybe. But Daniels is able to get away anyways. She's Daniels not gets... destroyed by David. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the way the fight ends is like he gets David down. He's like about to smash his face with a rock. And David's like, hey, um, me or them? Like, who do you want to serve? Do you want to do you want to serve in heaven or reign in hell? And it cuts away and we don't see how that ends. Yeah, 
and I don't really know how he would have answered. My feeling is that Walter would not have uh, agreed with David, but David somehow does still get the upper hand here. Because it is ultimately David who's on uh, the covenant at the end. Yeah, yeah. I don't really... I like that we don't kind of that we don't see how it resolves. By the way, we are of... left. No, please. Because we are left guessing, like right until the reveal at the very end, after right. even after though the second cl- almost climax. Even though, like when I saw this in theater at the time, I was like, okay, and it turns out to be David. Okay, and it turns out to be David. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> Come on, when it turns like it's David. When are we going to get to? It turns out to be David. But I, <laughs> something we didn't mention that sort of uh, sort of is an interesting thing. Uh, the the ship called the Covenant, which is a very religious name. Uh, covenant being a, a very religious concept. You have a covenant with God, uh, and uh, our our guy uh, Orem, uh, Billy Crudup's character. His whole thing is. Well, everybody thinks I'm lame because I'm the only religious person on the ship. I'm the only man of faith on this whole journey, uh, which was Shaw's thing in the previous one. She was the only religious person. Oi, uh, you tell that crazy religious uh, yeah. cult bitch. Right, it's that. But it's it's kind of weird that he'd be the only religious person on a colony ship called the Covenant. That like, is oh, weird. Man. Maybe some of the 2,000 people in like frozen in in subspace or, or frozen in uh hypersleep are religious too presumably if you know if he is oh. there, there would have to still be a proportion of people who are guaranteed do you think the pope's just gonna let this thing go off and not have his own people be in there i guess i mean how <laughs> many of these are they sending out there i really have no idea we don't really Actually, get yeah, an idea we, of the larger world that's true we don't really find out at all about any other successful colonies except for the one Paul Reiser runs. Right, and you presume there's a bunch of those. They, like, they lost contact with one of them, and they're like, huh, that's weird, let's go investigate that. But it's not like, hey, our colony has gone black. It's just one of our colonies. So, you know, it's, it's a thing that people are doing. Yeah. So we got the escape from the... We got the escape from the temple and get back onto the ship scene. Tennessee has... Uh, it, in the background, while all this has been going on, he's been like lowering the main ship, uh, arguing with everybody about it, and finally he's decided he's going to take their cargo lifter shuttle thing and rescue them that way. Yeah. So that this action scene is so so good. Awesome, um, awesome action scene. This is the first like big proper xenomorph battle sequence. Uh, the, in either of these movies, we haven't really had a proper xenomorph. Again, protomorph is what they call it here. But, yeah. you know, it's a xenomorph, but it's a little bit different. It's not quite fully there. Yeah, like they, they all get onto, well, all. There's only like three people. There's uh, one dude who had his face like half melted from alien blood. <laughs> yeah, and Others. he's got all that little like putty goo that they've stuck into it. Yeah, uh, there's there's Walter... Uh, who's really David. There's Daniels, and then there's Tennessee flying that craft, and I think that's it. I think that's all who's left. Yeah, I mean, there were only 14 of them, and some of them are still on the ship. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, the the crew who are still on the ship, there's, like, two people awake up there, so there's maybe uh, 11 people who went down to the planet, and there's three who are coming back. Yeah, so this scene is like so cool because they're they're trying to lift off, but they're the aliens stuck on like 
clinging onto the bottom of the shuttle. So Daniels has like got this uh, safety rope attached to a winch, and she's as the ship is like going back and forth and tilting and turning, she's hanging off of this rope trying to shoot at this alien, and they're trying to like blast it with the jets. Really great action sequence. Huge build up to this. This was pretty killer in the theater. Yeah, uh, they finally uh, activate this crane and get the get the alien into like the the crane mouth, and she's trying to shoot at it without falling into the crane mouth itself. While it's until it eventually crushes the alien, and ah, uh, so so good. Everything about this is rules. Yeah, it's a pretty cool action sequence. They they managed to. Get it destroyed. Uh, uh, Walter, quote unquote, Walter, fake Walter, says that uh, David died, that he was able to defeat him. And uh, they they head back up to the Covenant. Yep. <sighs> yeah, everything's great. It is time to. Se- oh, um, I don't know his name. Big black guy survived. Uh, he got up, too, because he has to have the shower sex. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rick's. Yeah. No, Rick's is the co-pilot. I don't, I don't know the big guy's name. Oh, I don't know. They managed to escape. Everybody's trying to recover in mid-bay. Uh, Buddy's got all the putty on him. Daniels is stapling Walter's face closed. And you kind of get the suspicion here that she suspects Walter at this point. But That's a good her. reason. Because, you know, he's he he uh, uh, David was a dangerous kind of fucking character. Yeah, yeah. It, but it turns out, like, she still ends up trusting him till the end. So I don't know yeah. if she suspects him here or not. Maybe, maybe not. But, uh, uh, of course, the the dude who had the facehugger attack uh, that they brought back up now, uh, he has a chest burster. Yep, he got chest bursted. They, they just see him on the floor of the med bay and it's all covered in blood. Yeah. And uh, then there's the, the two of them having sex. It is Rick's. Is it Ricks? Okay, okay. Ricks. Uh, Ricks and Upworth. Right. Upworthy. <laughs> uh, yeah, Juicy Smollett, that guy who had the whole scandal where he uh, faked that he got beat up. What? Or something. Yeah, I've never he heard staged, about this. He staged a hate crime against himself. Ooh. Yeah, mm. it, it, he is like the most hated person on Fox News, or at least was for a couple years there. Because he's he plays a gay character and he is himself gay and he's a gay black man and uh, yeah it uh, turned into a whole stupid thing. Oh, uh, but yeah, so that's Rick's and it, this is like the most slasher movie thing to happen in either <laughs> of these. It's the two of them doing a shower sex scene that feels completely out of nowhere for the rest of the movie. Yeah, they've got the music on so loud that they can't hear the fucking emergency alarm on the ship. Yeah. Well, they're, you know, they're getting it on because they, they're going to have to go back into hypersleep pretty soon. Like, hey, we might as well might as well have some fun with it. And, of course, the loose uh, protomorph gets them. Yeah, uh, gets them like just leaning on the glass, shoots its face like its second mouth through the back of his head and out of his mouth. It's so fucking gruesome. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It is like, the most splatters her with blood. It's like. She- Jason getting someone, getting two people through the head with a, a fucking machete. It feels like that. <laughs> so totally like that. So Daniels in Tennessee, they, they've they got this plan to uh, 
trap the alien in the uh, terraforming bay by by just closing and op- strategically closing and opening airlock doors to force it there. And Which is gonna... Alien 3, the, the climax of Alien 3, that's what they do. This does oh, feel shit. like Ridley Scott kind of uh, remixing a bunch of stuff from the later Alien franchises. Like, what's some stuff I like? Uh, that they did. Most of the stuff we can throw out because it sucks. It's not my stuff, but <laughs> we'll we'll pick and choose some of those pieces that were interesting and were were cool ideas. And so they do that. And yeah, they fucking launch it back out into space. Yep, they launch it into space. Uh, this is this whole like big action scene. Pretty uh, cool. Yeah, they trap it in the bed of this truck, but oh my god, the truck is stuck. They have to send another truck after it somehow Daniels is able to duck under this gargantuan truck and survive. That's cool. She lived. They got the alien out of there. It's about the only way you can really keep an alien dead is to blow it out through an airlock, I've found. Yeah, pretty much. And so they're going to head on to Aurigai 6, get back into hypersleep. Yep. And and just as uh, Walter's putting Daniels to sleep, she's like, hey... You want, still want to help me build that log cabin? Oh, we skipped He's, over. They had a scene where they were talking about a log cabin. It was her dream. Yeah, like prior to them getting on the planet. Uh, yeah. they, they have sort of this camaraderie or something. And uh, he is just totally blank because he's like, never had this conversation because it's David. But she's already yeah. going under. She, in the yeah, she's, as she's like falling, That's asleep, she realizes that it's David. And she's like screaming. She's like, ah, David, fuck. Let me out of here. Fuck, fuck, fuck. That's a like, fantastic. Shh. Yeah. That's a very fantastic horror moment that we haven't seen before of uh, someone going into hypersleep and they can't stop because it's already in motion, but realizing something horrible is outside. That's terrifying. Yeah. Like what almost happened to Ripley at the end of the first one. Yeah, exactly. So it's pretty cool that we get to see that actually happen. Uh, David grossly has a couple fucking alien eggs hidden in his stomach. And he like, <laughs> sticks, them, little, yep. sticks them with the human embryos that they've got in their uh, embryo drawer. Yep, and he's, he's going to put them in some of these people. And he's ready to start a new alien planet. Or a Galien 6. Oh, shit. Or uh, a gay. He can't create a... Oh, or you can't create a name like that. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> uh, it's going to be Cinderella two thousand. He 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 screws it all up and somehow <laughs> just ends up being a weird sex planet where everybody's getting the hornies all the time. They just got to go to the hospital for it like, twice. <laughs> yeah. So as Walter, he sends the final transmission, which is it's very eerie. This is the the sort of one that it's no survivors, even though there's sort of two thousand survivors. Uh, and he he says that, you know, the colonists are fine. All of the 2000 colonists in hypersleep, they're good. But the entire crew, other than Daniels in Tennessee, were killed in that solar flare that happened earlier. He mentions nothing about the planet that they landed on or David yeah. being picked up or any of that. Nothing about that. Don't need to talk about that. So what do you think happened with Walter and David when the camera cut away? Makeouts, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Somehow he got the upper hand. I don't really feel like Walter caved. Uh, it it yeah. seems unlikely that he would change sides. But yeah, somehow he, he got the better of him. It's kind of funny that they just leave it out. It's like, well, you know, whatever. Something happened. Maybe an alien. Maybe he tamed one of the aliens and it defended him. 
Possibly. I don't know, because it, it sort of seemed like they weren't running around yet. It did seem like that. He wasn't really aware of them yet outside of himself. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting. It's a really dark ending to have him be the last one and he, him planning to plant embryos in all these people in hypersleep. And yeah, what I do think is really interesting with him sending this message and pretending to be Walter and not saying anything about it is he's not sending word back to the company. He's not saying that this happened and to come here and we can get these and you can use it as a weapon. He has broken off from the company. He wants to do his own thing. He wants to have like his, um, uh, what is it, like Island of Dr. Moreau? Is that the one? Yeah, kind of like that, I suppose. So we still don't have the company having found out that aliens exist yet, which is interesting. Right, and it doesn't dig it deeper into any of the deeper questions asked by Prometheus. It's just more, no. well, let's carry on with the action of that one. We, we're, we're not going to think too much this time we're just gonna have a good fucking actiony uh horror sort of time yeah it it and it is it works it's a lot of fun uh i i it's too bad this one didn't do very well i think mainly because prometheus had such bad word of mouth that a lot of people didn't go to see this one it's such a good time i feel like they were setting up another sequel that could have been interesting they still could could still happen Uh, you know, Ridley Scott's still making movies. I'd love to see him make a third one. I think he's talked about still returning to it if he can. Ooh, yeah, interested. like just what happens to this ship? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to know. I have uh, another ship happen upon the planet where this lands. You know, you you could see also there's so much he could do with it. Yeah, that I'd yeah. be really interested in. But yeah, it's a good time. A solid ass movie. Yeah, yeah. Let's just maybe let's. Uh... Cut it out with the crossovers with Predator. I don't think it's working out. I was going to say, well, maybe we could do a movie where the Predator lands on the planet that uh, David uh, creates. I don't know. <laughs> David love versus Predator. Predator. David versus Predator. Alien versus David versus Predator. <laughs> you can maybe get Ash in there. Maybe the Evil Dead. Just get a whole fucking IP fest. People love that shit. It'd probably make bajillions. This oh is God, the premise Walter's of Ready Player head. One. He could, he could put a chainsaw on it. On Walter. <laughs> and listen up, you primitive screwheads. Yeah, it's very important that you get this. Uh, yeah, good movie. You know, it, it's cool to see David again. It uh, It's it's fun that Fassbender gets to play David and Walter and do two different performances, and they're both really good. Yeah, uh, I, didn't re- I didn't recognize at first that they were even played by the same guy. That's how good the performances were. Yeah, they do feel very different. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, definitely recommend. Uh, Easier recommend than the previous one. Yeah, the previous one is like, I really <laughs> liked it, but I totally understand why people wouldn't. This one, I would recommend, even if you didn't like Prometheus, or if you don't want to watch Prometheus, this one sums up what you need in that first scene. It's kind of a second take at Prometheus in a lot of ways. It does a lot of the same stuff, but responds to the criticisms that people had of it. Uh, yeah, it's just a real good time. It's just a solid-ass alien movie. I wish they'd make more of them. Me too. I mean, I had seen so many bad alien movies that I, I wasn't too excited about uh, either of these when they came out. But So I was like, eh, why don't they just stop? But no, I don't want them to stop now. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd totally be down with them uh, coming back to it, especially if it's Ridley or someone with a similar sensibility. Because I'm not a huge fan of the 90s alien movies. 
I don't like yeah. them. <laughs> Overall. I don't know. Three I liked one four. that had Winona Ryder in it, but, you know, maybe not on the movie's own merit, just because it had Winona Ryder in it. Yeah, I mean, I rewatched that one, what, a month or so ago, and it probably doesn't hold up. <laughs> it's not great. It's got a lot of problems. There, there's things about it that are interesting. Uh, I mean, it's weird. It's a, it's, it's a unique movie, but mm. I don't like it very much. <laughs> so what do you think? This movie... Obviously not as good as the first Alien, but better than Aliens? God, I don't know what my <laughs> ranking hard. would be. I think I might put this below Aliens. Prometheus I might put above it. It's tough to say, because Prometheus is more uneven. Yeah, uh, I can't Alien decide. is the fucking pinnacle one. That's, oh, yeah, that's that... tough to be. It's such a good movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't, think, I don't think anything's dethroning that. But I can't even decide if I like this better than Prometheus or not. Yeah, they're they're both very similar. They both have uh, a lot to like about them. This one does not have the the same sort of stuff that's so fucking annoying, but it also doesn't have quite as much cool stuff. Like like you said, there is nothing to touch the med bay sequence, and there's just not as much deep thoughts in it. It doesn't have uh, the the themes to really dig into the way uh-huh. Prometheus does. Yeah, but it's great cool. popcorn yeah, flick. A lot of fun. <laughs> so. Any last thoughts before we head on into our third and final section? Who? Mm, Nope. (laughs) Who made who? (laughs) All right, on to part three. Back again for part three. We're talking about the other stuff we've watched this week, and we're going to decide what to watch next week. So we got quite a few picks to begin with, Uh, one of which you watched with me that we'll get to in line with the rest. Oh, there's some good stuff on here. I saw one and, it was, and I was like, oh my god, that one. But now I see a few others and I'm like, I don't know. Alrighty. So first up is Superdome. I don't think this is going to be one of the ones that is in high contention. Oh, so, just for that, it is now. <laughs> it was the Super Bowl the other day, as you are somewhat aware. I know you were doing some uh, gig driving for it. Yeah, it did all right. did all right. Uh, <clears throat> this is a movie about the Super Bowl in 1978. Okay. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's at the Superdome in New Orleans. Uh, that, that's where the, the Superdome was. Uh, no longer exists. Uh, very famously was used as the uh, disaster area where people took shelter after Katrina and oh. just got just very uh, foul during that time. Oh, no. This is back when it was still relatively new. It's a TV movie. And it's this thing where uh, this team, the Cougars, are going to be in the Super Bowl in New Orleans. And uh, someone is killing off people on the staff or vaguely associated with the team and uh, leading yes. up to the game. It's like, oh, who could be doing it? Uh, there, there's some sort of plot. Uh, and, you know, there's various subdramas there's this guy who's not having sex with his wife so she's having sex with other dudes and it's sort of ruining his concentration with the game but not so much that he's actually going to sleep with her as she's still continuing to ask him <laughs> just like please i i just want to be with you don't you understand and it's like this game though baby uh <laughs> no pig flush yeah it's got that sort of feel to it uh and he's like the aging quarterback, so it's like his last shot at the big game. 
Uh, and, you know, the, the up and coming young guy is a very young Tom Selleck, I think pre Magnum PI, maybe. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Pre mustache. Uh, he's got the stash. I mean, you know, <laughs> is there such a Selleck. thing as pre mustache? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's a very TV movie. <laughs> it's, uh, it's sleepy. I, I, I drowsed through. Was, yeah. I, I, you know, it, it was hard to stay awake watching it. Uh, the sleepy obvious conclusion when you find out who who was doing it someone from the other team no it's a lady who had a beef and you know oh. it's a stupid thing okay i'll take your word for it it's still in contention though because i said it would right. be fair fair next up we've got whore all Ken right whore uh uh, so it's sort of a reaction to Pretty Woman. You know, Julia Roberts' Pretty Woman, Richard Gere? I know the movie exists. I don't know anything about it. It's a romance comedy where Julia Roberts is, you know, she's a prostitute. And it's her, I think it's her first night on the job. And, you know, Richard Gere is this really rich guy who... Uh, picks her up and then it turns into this weird whirlwind romance and he takes her away from this life uh, and it's very glamorous and this is ken russell who's you know legendary provocateur he directed the devils very famous uh film that no one will release because it's still too scandalous it was condemned by the vatican at the time it's about the devil oh. on oh ooh. absolutely fantastic movie this is him many years later, and he's still provocateur, and it's like, hey, you know what? Romanticizing uh, sex work with a pretty woman is a bunch of bullshit. Here is my version. It's called Whore. And <laughs> it's about how uh, it, it's uh, going to be a one-act play where she's constantly talking to the camera about how sex life is, or sex work is uh, not fun and is kind of bullshit, and she has to deal with psychotic pimps, and it's sort of a night in the life. Yeah, I imagine it would be... Um... <laughs> imagine well anything where you've got customer service you you, you have a chance of getting rude customers but sex work eh? <laughs> terrible. You, you get i bet worst. it would just be the worst yeah uh so it's fun it's her just constantly breaking the fourth wall she's usually talking to the camera about look at this guy what do i have to deal with uh <laughs> it, it's it's very strange i sent you that one clip it's pretty famous it's a very heavily memed clip it was one very popular on youtube with the guy who the very first guy this is like the opening sequence of the movie where this guy pulls up and is uh, negotiating with her and uh he's like i want to fuck you up the ass he's like why don't you stick it up your own asshole <laughs> and philosophical stroking his chin what if i could bitch and then drives off <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's more of a comedy, even though it's sort of a overheated melodrama. Like, it almost approaches sex work in a reefer madnessy kind of way. It's very oh. uh, overheated. It's it's It goes too far in the opposite direction, perhaps. But, <laughs> I don't know, it, right. it, it's interesting. All right. Maybe, maybe to take it with a grain of salt if we end up going with that. Yeah. So, next... Uh, speaking of sex work, it's Hideout in the Sun, the first film by Doris Wishman, her debut feature. Oh, really? Yeah. It's a nudie cutie. It's a nudist camp movie. Of course. Uh, th this one, there's some robbers 
the, these guys, they robbed a bank or maybe it was a jewelry store. I can't remember. You know, they're they're on a their bus way terminal? out. And they, they robbed something. And they're <laughs> they, they got to hide out. So they're, they got to switch vehicles and they carjack this lady. They're like, all right, where where can you take us? And, uh, it turns out she's a member of a nudist colony. Of and course. she takes them there to hide out. And of course. One of the dudes, he's the younger guy, and he wasn't all that into the robbery, and he sort of feels bad about it. And he starts to fall in love with her and the nudist lifestyle as they hang out in the nude camp. And the other dude, who's the older weird guy, I think it's the same two dudes who are in Nude on the Moon. It's the same professor and other guy, like the the two scientists, the rocket scientists who are nude on the moon. Okay. Or they're not nude on the moon. They lurk on the moon amongst the nudies. Right. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's the older guy. He just stays in her cabin all the time, peeking on people living the nudist lifestyle while smoking, uh, just chain smoking. And <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's a bit more of a plot than Blaze Star goes nudist. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've heard that exact same synopsis about three times already for these <laughs> the, movies. The the nudist you're going to hear a very similar synopsis for uh, the preview of the next one uh, based on what <laughs> I've read about it. Yeah, it, I mean they follow a pattern these nudist camp <laughs> movies, <laughs> and like I've watched non Doris Wishman ones too, like the monster at Camp Sunshine, and it's got kind of that flavor. Oh really? Okay. Uh, and probably a few others that we've talked about here. Uh, next up is Street Fighter. For me. For you, so the day you recorded the pod, when you record the podcast, it's like a normal, th- it's the best podcast. It's Tuesday. Today, today You're is selling Tuesday. It. You're selling it. Gold Tuesday. Uh, street, <clears throat> my goodness, Street Fighter. Uh, I'd never actually watched this movie all the way through before somehow. Uh, oh, so. I saw it in theater. Oh, wow. Haven't it's, seen it since. I remember seeing the ads for it in what was it, 93, 94, 93, Something I think? like that, yeah. And I would have been probably 10. I was like, this looks too kiddy for me. <laughs> <laughs> I did not go to see it. Uh, and yeah, I just never saw it until now. But M. Bison, fucking uh, Raul Julia, is so good as His M. final Bison. role. Dying of stomach cancer throughout. Like, he's, in, he's built into this suit. The suit does a lot of the work for keeping him standing. Uh, really? very ill but oh, yeah my. i mean the the set design in this is so cool all of the props you've got the bison bucks which are very funny when <laughs> bison has his own money and someone's negotiating with him and he's like oh well uh, i'll give you uh this amount and he's like all right uh, in uh pounds right he's like no no and he opens up the the briefcase and they're bison bucks he's like what the fuck is this <laughs> like money with bison's face on them uh he's like well these are worthless and he's like no no i have a plan i'm going to kidnap the queen and we're going to do a, an exchange where these are worth five times the english pound to get her back <laughs> like okay dude uh, what I really love is like the first 15 minutes of this movie are nothing but character introductions because they had to have every single Street Fighter character represented in the movie. So for 15 minutes, just every single character you meet, like there's a dramatic turn to camera and they'll be like, 
what do you think, Cammy? And it's Cammy. <laughs> she's like in her fatigues and stuff. And she's sort of vaguely recognizable as the character. And it's like, what about you, DJ? And it's like, oh, hey, it's DJ. <laughs> Let's so, check in with office assistant Chun Li. Yeah, Chun Li. Well, Chun Li is the reporter on the scene. Right. She's like arguably the main character other than uh, JCVD. As, right, who uh, plays Guile the Marine. Weird pick for American Marine Guile. <laughs> Although here he's with the uh, some version of the United Nations. It's the AN, and I don't know what the A is for. It's like the Associated Nations, maybe. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's very Belgian. He does not seem the slightest bit uh, uh, American. He's supposed to be the American Marine. And he certainly does not have the incredible flat top that Guile should have. No, he's wearing a hat. Like, come he's on. He's wearing that beret, that kicky Belgian beret. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, he's not the best part of the movie, but I enjoyed the movie more than I expected to, quite honestly. I remember thinking it was, even when I watched it in the theaters, thinking it was like a fun, stupid time. It's very dumb. Uh, it's like the only movie Stephen E. D'Souza ever directed, but he's like this major action writer. He wrote tons of huge action movies, like uh, I think both of the 48 Hours movies. I think maybe oh. Die Hard. I'm not sure if that's right. He oh. definitely wrote The Running Man, which is later on this list. Oh, The Running Man, too? Yeah, he wrote all sorts of huge action movies and somehow this is just the only one he also directed uh next up we have my grandpa is a vampire aka grandpire <laughs> oh okay so you know uh do you, did you ever watch the monsters i never did so grandpa monster is al lewis and he is a vampire in that show so this is him in this weird New Zealand children's movie as <laughs> a grandpa who's a vampire. <laughs> so he's the same character, but not this legally distinct Herman Munster or whatever Munster. Yeah, he's he's grandpa Munster. I don't think it's Herman. Herman's the, the son of him. But it, there's like no other people, like no other uh, uh, vampire family. There, there's just, you know, he has a daughter who just is kind of fed up with his shit and she wants to marry this guy. And there's this guy, the, the guy she wants to marry uh, really wants this guy to die off, but he's a vampire. So he's just living forever. And uh, he's he ultimately builds like a steak gun machine to go after him and gets <laughs> very heightened and ridiculous. It's weird. It's got a very strange tone to it because it's distinctly a children's movie, but it's a weird European children's movie kind of thing. So it's got a very strange flavor to it. All right. Uh, next, I went back to the Michael J. Murphy, uh, the micro budget cinema of Michael J. Murphy. Uh, and this is another very fragmentary one from that set. Oh, these are the ones that are like the, not all the movies, not all there. Like some of it's been lost. Yeah, this one, like most of the soundtrack doesn't exist. So it's again, it's kind of hard to piece together at times exactly what's happening, but it's more coherent of a narrative. There's less of the movie itself missing. It's just a lot of the audio is. Oh, OK, 
but it's sort of a it's it's kind of a Beauty and the Beast story where and, and it almost feels like a Jean Roland. It sort of uh, comes from the Jean Roland Jess Franco school of uh, it, like this one doesn't get super nudie or anything, but it has that sort of weird hazy uh, romanticism. And there, there's a story about this this actress who goes on a film shoot in Greece and it's sort of unclear what's movie and what's dream and what's actually happening, but she seems to fall in love with this guy who's so hideous. He always wears a mask to uh, disguise himself. And there's all these sort of weird dreamy sequences of them in Greece having this weird sort of romance, but he's always with the mask and making these weird pronouncements. Uh, You know, it was a strange art house thing, but yeah, not, not altogether complete. So hard to say. All right. Next is the one you were there for, The Last Dragon, a Motown <laughs> production. What a fucking movie. Show so enough. we've got Show Enough as the Shogun of Harlem. Yeah. Who is, uh, who has to fight against, or who wants to conquer Harlem, but he has to first face his rival, the uh, quote-unquote heroic Bruce Leroy. Leroy Green. <laughs> they 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 do call him Bruce Leroy sometimes. And yeah, it's uh, very much a tribute to Bruce Lee, but it's yeah, it's weird. It's very goofy. It has a real um uh big trouble in little china flavor to it. Oh, I got to watch that again. I didn't I didn't get that one when we were doing the Carpenter watch through. No, we didn't do that one. That's a good ass movie. Well, real fun time. And so is this one, a great fucking Motown soundtrack, very 80s Motown, mind you, but uh, you get a lot of it. <laughs> there's there's a ton of music. Yeah, a lot of fun. There's this whole uh, evil, I guess, some kind of a producer plot that's like completely disconnected from the show enough plot. Right. Just, you know, you, there, there's got to be a whole music subplot because how else are you going to shoehorn in five or six full Motown music videos into a movie. Uh, yeah, about five or six. I, <laughs> they, I feel they, like they, there could have been more. Or yeah, I feel I like there was them. more. They were bad. Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, great, great fight at the end with like cool ass lighting effects. Oh yeah. I really love all the animated effects when they're having the big final battle. That's pretty rad. When he gets the soul glow, mm-hmm. the glow. But show enough also has the glow. True. It's kind of almost a Dumbo situation, which doesn't speak the best of our main character, who, as I said, when we were watching, he's kind of a weeaboo, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's like, why are you talking like that? Why are you wearing that hat? You're culturally appropriating and you're being a real weirdo. (laughs) You live in Harlem and you're speaking like you're a 18th century coolie. Knock it off, maybe? I don't know, dude. <laughs> yeah, I had I thought he like had been living in a Chinese monastery, not just going to a dude's temple to study that's down the road. Yeah, and you see him just like hanging out with his family. He's like, why are you such a weirdo, dude? What happened <laughs> to you? Why are you so damaged? Yeah, as he like says some like Confucian thing. Yeah, it's like your family runs a pizza restaurant. Chill out, man. And he can't do anything until he's seen Bruce Lee do it first. Oh, yeah. Uh, or imagined Bruce Lee doing it. Mm. 
That's why he can't uh, have sex with anyone. But he can make out after he sees Bruce Lee make out. Yeah, he's he's just he he needs some inspiration. Uh-huh. He needs one of those kung fu pornos. <laughs> uh, uh, it, Bruce it Lee never made fun. any of those himself. Yeah, it's a good no. time. Uh, next we've got the Coca Cola Kid. Uh, I sent you a brief clip from this one where it's the waiter guy just randomly showing up after our Coca-Cola kid arrives in Australia and just <laughs> gushing to him. It's like, what the hell was that? <laughs> so Coca-Cola, yeah. oh, please. Yeah, I was wondering what the context was for that. So there isn't really any context. It's very much a, well, what the hell was that kind of thing? Uh, ultimately, that guy has an entire subplot that he thinks the Coca-Cola kid is doing uh, that is totally unrelated to what he was actually doing. And he's doing his whole own movie that he periodically pops in and thinks this guy's in. Oh, but man, that sounds fun. It's kind of cool. Uh, this is a Dushan Makoweyev film. He's a pretty big, I think, Czech new wave filmmaker. Uh, made some very strange and confrontational films. Uh, famously, Sweet Movie and... Uh, uh, I can't remember the other one. I've seen a bunch of his movies, and they are th- this one is pretty mellow for him. It's a it's a gentle satire. I I am amazed that Coke didn't sue them out of existence because <laughs> the they're heavily using Coke branding, and this guy is a Coca Cola executive. Okay, so he's their troubleshooter, and. He shows up in this small town in Australia and or I, I guess it's corporate headquarters in Australia that he shows up to initially. And he's talking to them about, well, I'm here to solve a problem. He's like, well, what's the problem? It's like, well, we've got one month. And we're going to find out what the problem is. We're going to solve it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I don't know. There up, is a problem. I don't know yeah. what. Well, it just I'm, I'm sure that there's a problem and that's what I'm here to deal with. And it turns out there's this small town in a valley in Australia that has no Coca-Cola distribution because Whoa. there's this this dude who runs the town like a company town who runs a bottling plant and makes his own soda. And it's just him going to war with this guy, him wanting to buy this guy out and make him a Coca-Cola guy. And he's a real true believer in Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fun it's pretty interesting uh you know it's it's very osploitation-y but it's through uh obviously a czech new wave lens so this guy is it's weirder it's casually surreal at times uh you have a, a sort of variation on a manic pixie dream girl sort of uh, person who uh is just after him and he is actively not into it like she's his secretary and at one point he just fires her and because he, <laughs> he can't deal with her anymore, but she still keeps coming for him. Uh, next, like next we have dance of the drunk mantis. This is the next in the Jackie's exploitation collection. Oh, the, the ones that are not Jackie Chan, but people being like um, impersonating him. Kind of. Often the case. I mean, that, that's sort of the case with a Bruce exploitation, where you'll have a Bruce Lie or uh, something like that. You know, as someone who's not Bruce Lee but is named very close to it. Often there will be this. Uh, in this case, it's a sequel to a Jackie Chan movie in which Jackie Chan was the main character, uh, Drunk Master, 
without him in it. So him as the main character is no longer there, but the rest of the supporting cast do return. It's by the same director, Yuan Wu-Ping, who's pretty major uh, director and fight choreographer. He was the fight choreographer, for instance, on The Matrix. I knew I knew I knew his name. Yeah, so he he worked with Jackie Chan quite a bit in the early days and sort of developed that style of sort of kinetic, comedic kung fu. Uh, so it, it has kind of that vibe, and it's pretty good. You know, it's solid. It's it's there's no Jackie Chan in it. <laughs> it doesn't really have that, and it's it's silly. <laughs> well, Jackie Chan movies often are silly yes and this just kind of leans more into the silly it's like if all of without any sort of uh anchoring main character who has sort of the charisma of jackie chen you have one of the un brothers uh there's a whole bunch of them there most of them are kung fu stars or directors Uh, you saw writing wrongs which has Corey yuan oh okay yeah i believe uh he was the main guy in that who's fucking dodging cars and shit uh right this is obviously an older movie. Uh, and it's about, you know, there's the drunken master and he goes back to his hometown and it turns out his wife has adopted this new adult son who he just fucking hates and he decides to constantly berate him. Uh, and he, even though the wife wants him to train the kid, uh, and kid, I mean, he's an adult. And <laughs> she wants him to train him in the drunken fist, right? And, 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 mm-hmm you know, the, the art of the drunken fist, but the guy, he, she's also made him a uh, teetotaler. Like he's not allowed to drink the sun. So it's but kind of a non-starter there. They, they the, just don't get along. Without drinking, the drunken fist is just, it's nothing. It doesn't work. You can't do it. Yeah, exactly. So they send him to this other guy who's the sick master. And he, <laughs> I really like this guy. He's just like laying down in a coffin, like he's fucking dead and, He's like Lane Simmons says, and like, no, I, I, I really can't get up. <laughs> he introduces him to the sick fist, which is sort of like the drunk fist, but it's just like you're really fucking queasy and uh, <laughs> feverish. And yeah, I don't know. That guy was kind of fun. And he <laughs> pops up occasionally, and like someone will run out and they'll like collide with his coffin outside, and is like, what are you doing? I'm here in my coffin. And then he'll have to do some sick fist stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's decent. <laughs> All right. That sounds like a lot of fun, too. It's pretty decent. Next, we got Fatal Attraction. Uh, fucking uh, milestone of erotic thrillers in the 80s. Sort of the the linchpin of the uh, MDPCU, the <laughs> Michael Douglas's penis cinematic universe. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're just like, everybody wants it. They got to have it. <laughs> all in, right in, in this one particularly it's glenn close are, are you familiar with this movie have you seen this one i know the name but no i haven't seen it it's one i've seen a few times i, I was pretty familiar with it it's beautifully shot it's very elegantly trashy but it's like a very old school exploitation movie with 80s super gloss huge huge fucking hit uh so it's michael douglas is this guy he's a happily married family man got this six-year-old daughter beautiful wife who he loves and they're out of town for the weekend and there's this lady he, he's a lawyer he works he's a lawyer who works with uh publishing firms primarily i guess and then one day he gets out of his car and he decides like he's had enough he's gonna go shoot people <laughs> no he's just 
uh, he meets this lady, Glenn Close, who is into him. And she, you know, so it's like, oh, we're both adults. You know, why don't we make an adult decision? And she's he thinks she means having a one night stand. And it certainly seems to be what she's suggesting. And, you know, he sleeps with her. But then, like, she really doesn't want him to leave. And uh, she sort of like gets him ultimately to spend the weekend with her. And then, like, she when he's trying to leave after that, she does a suicide attempt and it uh, like it, it really spirals very quickly. She becomes a super stalker. She starts calling the house all the time. Uh, it, yeah, it's her fatal attraction. Uh, establish boundaries first and what everybody wants first, clearly before you go into any of that stuff, people. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's uh, I, I would say to an extent it's, colored by the AIDS panic in the 80s of just, you know, the one uh, one night stand that somehow just destroys everything and uh, has these endless repercussions because of uh, insufficient uh, conversation beforehand. You know? Right, right. Uh, next, we've got I Miss You, Hugs and Kisses. This is uh, the Canadian video nasty. I don't know right. if there are other ones. Might be the only one. So it's based on a Canadian true crime case where this guy, I think, again, a lawyer, uh, and I think he was a lawyer in Montreal in the 70s, and he hired a hitman to kill his wife, who was a model. Okay. And he got convicted. I think he's now out of jail, maybe? He might still be in jail. I don't know. Uh, Or I think he got out quite recently maybe like four years ago or something but it was a very sensational case at the time i think maybe he's been exonerated for lack of evidence or something or no maybe i'm thinking about the other case i think this one is he was just convicted and he spent 25 years in prison or something i don't know uh anyway yeah it's mostly a trial movie it's it's a a trial procedural uh, it's drab 80s Canada. Uh, they're hanging out in the brown courtroom all t- all the time. And uh, it's flashbacks to uh, things that they talked about and also the various plans he had. Because he did talk to various people about potentially killing his wife. So you see so many potential reconstructions of the wife being killed. And that's why it's a video nasty. It's just there's a lot of times where you see her skull get bashed in by different people or with different <laughs> objects. You know, it, the Mr. Burns thing, you see multiple different people doing it. And then it, <laughs> like it pans up to show a different person holding the weapon. I'm just imagining him going around like like Tom Cruise with his doctor card, like just handing it. OK, so here this. So now, you know, I'm an actual murderer. So here's how I'm going to kill her. <laughs> well, it's, it's oh, you're not like, yeah, I mean, it is all reconstructions from the courtroom, like the different things people are saying with uh, different uh, reasoning. I, it's it's a strange movie. It's it feels like it's not sure about the guilt of the guy. Ultimately. Uh, okay. uh, I think he was pretty conclusively found guilty. And then he was let out in the mid eighties and it was in a halfway house. And then he got caught doing another plot to hire oh, someone to do another thing. And he got put back in jail for a really long time. <laughs> uh, next up, we got the running man. 
I fucking love The Running Man. Written by Stephen E. D'Souza of Street Fighter. Uh, oh. Yeah, I just fucking love this movie. It's just a fucking great time. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger with the worst one-liners of his career. Well, he also uses I'll Be Back, which is a good one. But it gets undercut by Dawson. He's uh, he's like only in a rerun, and then he like pushes a button and flushes him down a toilet, you know? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's down the tube. It's a great one. I, it's just so much fun. It's got such an incredible 80s atmosphere. I picked up the soundtrack to this on CD not all that long ago, and I've been listening to it while I've been out and about. So it's it's got that vibe, that great 80s synth vibe. Oh, yeah, it has a pretty good soundtrack, doesn't it? It's pretty rock, and it's one of those movies that I saw when I was really young, and it's just really stuck with me. It's sort of my iconic Schwarzenegger film. You know, I saw this before I saw any of the Terminator films. It's probably the first Arnold movie I've seen. It may have been mine. I think I may have seen Terminator first because I was really obsessed with Terminator uh, as a kid. And then when Terminator 2 came out, it was like my favorite movie for some time. Hmm. I didn't watch those until I was a fair bit older, but I had seen other Arnold movies, I think. But I'm pretty sure this is the first one I ever saw. It's pretty cool. It's it's interesting as an adaptation of one of Stephen King's Richard Bachman novels, uh, his pseudonym novels, which all sort of dealt with separate ills that would come to really define modern society. Like this is his reality television book versus uh, there's Rage, which is his school shooting book. And uh, yeah. uh, Roadwork, his domestic terrorism one. And uh uh, the Long Walk, which is like fascist apocalypse. Oh wow, that that stuff all happened. They're uh, they're very good and very fucking harsh, weird books. I think Rage has been pulled from circulation uh, in more recent years. <laughs> I, uh, I could only reasons. imagine. Yeah, reasons. Yeah. yeah. There's nudity in it. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh i mean it's you know it's a book but <laughs> there, there is a scene where there's a a circle jerk of course there it is it's stephen king uh next up we've got blood shack aka the chooper i watched it again <laughs> <laughs> this thing we have been talking about the fucking chooper for months now every single episode he comes up <laughs> Love the Chooper. Uh, I I enjoyed it more on a second viewing, watching the longer cut of it this time. This is the Chooper cut versus the Blood Shack cut, uh, and yeah, it's just it's so weird. Like it's it's him sort of processing the, where his marriage is at that point. I feel because like the main character is his wife Carolyn Brandt, and they were still married while they were making this movie in 71. They got divorced in 73. But it's a movie about her as this divorced lady who was married to this director, Cash Flag, which is Ray Dennis Steckler's pseudonym that he directed the earlier movies in that she starred in as his wife and as his lead actress. And it's her, like, reeling from her divorce and just dealing with the emptiness and living in this desolate desert and then, you know, periodically there's the chooper and he gets a he choopers someone. And this guy's like, <laughs> don't go in there. Or the chooper will get you. And then they get choopered. And then he's like, I told you, I told you the chooper will get you. 
You keep killing them, Trooper. I'll keep burying them. Yeah, uh, it's such a bizarre thing. And then there's just like a whole 15 minutes where they just go to the rodeo. <laughs> like they just, they went to the actual local rodeo and they shot it. And like the voiceover, there's so much voiceover. It's mostly voiceover. And this is like really Antonioni alienation stuff where it's just her talking about how sad she is and how things aren't cool and how she doesn't really get what's going on. And it's like, then we went to the rodeo and it was really amazing. And wow, things were really, the pace was really picking up at the rodeo. And you're like, you've been watching it for like 15 <laughs> minutes. I'm like, was it? Uh, and and she, it's like, oh, it's so great. I wish I had a camera. It's like, you do have a camera. We're watching it. <laughs> and he's Someone got the camera. ball. He holds uh, it. Holds he holds it. it. Holds it. Holds uh, it. Yeah, just a, an incredible, unique object. Uh, really, really fascinating. <laughs> All right. That's Bloodshack slash The Trooper. The Trooper. And last up is Two Lottery Tickets. This is a Romanian new wave comedy. Uh, There's these three sort of dim guys. One of them works in an auto garage and uh, he really needs money because he wants to get his wife back from Italy. She's been on this tour and there's this guy who's sort of holding her hostage kind of uh, to she she needs money to get home. Although it sounds like maybe it's a smokescreen and she doesn't want to come home. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they, they deal with that over the course of the film. Uh, but they, he ultimately decides to buy a lottery ticket and he somehow fucking gets the winning numbers. Uh, it's a six million dollar win. It's like, holy shit, I can uh, do this and we can. And he he had two friends pitch in to buy the ticket. So they're going to split it three ways because he's totally cool with that. And then he's like, he reaches down for his fanny pack. He's like, shit. He's like, what? Oh, no. Because two days before, like the day after they'd they'd, uh, bought the tickets, he's uh, checking his mail. And these guys come down from his apartment building and just these weird bully guys, adult bullies. And they... Uh, uh, bully him and take his fanny pack. So they go on this whole long chase to find these guys because they don't know who they are, or what their names are, or where they're from. They know a couple very small facts. They start interrogating everyone in the apartment building, trying to find their lottery tickets. Just a, you know, whole shaggy dog story of them trying to track them down. These bullies, are they anything like the two, uh, the pimp and his bodyguard from Stroisek? Kind of like that. Nowhere near as extreme. And ultimately, they turn out to be kind of dorky, too. Okay. Uh, they, they, it, 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 it's, it's a whole lengthy uh, shaggy dog story of them uh, trying to find the thing. And like each of the three guys has a, a very different demeanor. The main guy seems very dim. Uh, the There's a second guy who's just a gambling addict and he's obsessed with sports. And he's always trying to get with each of the ladies that they run into and uh, trying to sell them on going to the seaside with him. Once he gets his two billion dollars that he's surely going to get when they get uh the the thing and then the third guy is with the government and he believes everything is a conspiracy <laughs> of course yeah All pretty right. cute very very light comedy 
Cool. So those are our fifth, no, 14 picks. Uh, what are you leaning towards? Oh, boy. Um, yeah, dang. With the amount that we have talked about the Chooper over the over the weeks and maybe even months, I feel like we can't not do it. <laughs> that is fair. Uh, uh, I, I think, I mean, the running, I would love to do the running man, but it's going to come up again. I feel like it has come up before. I watched it like a month ago. Yeah, it comes up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so we'll get around to the running man. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would like to, I would, I'm curious to watch Street Fighter again, but not curious not enough to do it. That's fair. It'll be around. Uh, so yeah, Blood Shack, aka the Trooper. I figure we should watch both cuts. I did watch both myself. Yeah. Uh, I am going to probably watch both cuts again because there's a Ray Dennis Steckler commentary on the shorter Blood Shack cut, and there's a Joe Bob Briggs commentary on the longer Trooper cut. Which, after we finish talking here, I might just uh, give a listen to. Oh, cool. And yeah, the Coca-Cola Kid does seem really interesting, though. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, one to keep our eye on. Well, we may have uh-huh. to come back to that. Uh, so for the main stacks, we've got a number of additions with all of these moves. Uh, so first, of course, there's Together, which we talked about in the first part. Uh, the next one, the Lucas Moody Sunset. Uh-huh. There's Le Professionnel, a Jean-Paul Belmondo film where he's like a... Uh, not a CIA operative, I guess the French equivalent to that. He's you know, a secret agent who kind of gets burned by his government while he's in some African nation doing shady shit. And he just kind of has to fight his way uh, back through to get back to the world, I guess. I think I've heard of this one, but I haven't seen it. It is very possible that we talked about it uh, in a previous one, and then it got buried uh, during October with uh, uh, all the Halloween move-arounds. Right, right, okay. Next, we've got Gentlemen Prefer Nature Girls, which is, of course, the next Doris Wishman picture. <laughs> Let me guess. So the two guys who do something, and it doesn't work, but they find their way to a nudist colony. <laughs> uh this one, it's a little bit different. It's very close to the plot of the Blaze Star one. There's this nudist couple, and they work in real estate, but uh, the owner finds out that uh, the main guy is a nudist, so he fires him for it. You know, he's really discriminating against nudists. But okay. then they they go to hang out at their fucking nudist camp, and who should show up but, like, the the dude that they were about to close a big deal with, uh, with their real estate thing. So it's like, hey, man, why don't we uh, work together and we'll get you can help us get our jobs back. And all that's right. kind of what happens in Blaze Star, where, like, the, they're all worried about her ruining her publicity by becoming a nudist. And then they're trying to get her to work with this guy. They're trying to sign a big deal. And then at the very end, it turns out he live he hangs out at that the same nudist colony and has just been there all all along it's like hey <laughs> what do you know silly shit <laughs> right on uh next is the next one in the michael j murphy box uh secrets so in sense like it's moving a little bit more into the horror stuff i hear it's sort of like uh it, this one i i understand is still kind of a little bit fragmentary not totally all there but it's got it's it's sort of a giallo him doing a 
uh, it's British, but it's him doing a giallo in Greece. Okay. There's this lady who's, the, you know, there's an inheritance deal and, uh, you know, being hunted down in this gothic Greek island. Very sort of dreamy uh, feel to it. Interesting. Uh, next from the Jackie Sploitation box is Dance of Death, which has Angela Mao as our uh, fake Jackie Chan. Uh, Jackie, uh, Jackie Chang, I believe, although it was actually <laughs> choreographed by Jackie Chan himself. Oh, cool, cool. So it's kind of like a legit, you know, uh, uh, late 70s uh, uh, kung fu movie. Uh, uh, Angela Mao playing a Jackie Chan-esque character uh, who I think is just supposed to be male. Okay. Which is kind of neat. And, uh, you know, she's... (laughs) There's... A couple of kung fu masters, and one is a like a pipe fighter, you know, who's who's always smoking, and one of them is a drunk master. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> All right, that's kind of goofy. I love I love themed kung fu um, opponents. Yeah, and it's a dance themed kung fu movie because it's Dance of Death, and they they'll have oh. like kung fu dance sequences. Nice, nice. Next is Recommendation for Mercy, which is uh, the other one from the same director as uh, Miss You Hugs and Kisses. It's another Canadian true crime uh, movie. Okay. So this one's based on a really famous case also uh, from, I I don't know when this one was. Uh, This one's a famous case that was overturned, where it was this 14-year-old boy who got railroaded as the rapist and murderer of a 12-year-old girl. Uh, In this case, she's 13. Uh, It's a a fictionalized version of it. But uh, yeah, so at the time this movie came out, he was still in jail for it and was still, I think, maybe generally thought to be guilty. Like, he has since been exonerated and released. Okay. It's another major Canadian true crime case. All right. Uh, next, starting the hardcore section of the Ray Dennis Steckler box, The Mad Love Life of a Hot Vampire. <laughs> it's, a, it's a porno where there's uh, Count Dracula with a bunch of vampire ladies in Vegas and who, you know, pose as, I guess, prostitutes and go out to uh, find men and drink blood, but, you know, also... You know, bang them, I guess, probably. Right. Of uh, course. You know, because it's, it's a porno movie. My understanding with the Ray Dennis Steckler porno movies is they are, I mean, they're as interested in plot as any Ray Dennis Steckler movie as being just sort of a random collection of things happening until you get to a different end point where just all of the things have happened. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, my understanding is he doesn't really care to make his sex scenes sexy in any way he's not really interested in that he's fine with them being gross or weird or just kind of strange to look at but uh sexy yeah whatever who needs that <laughs> and last edition is a month in thailand which is another romanian new wave comedy uh from the same director as two lottery tickets uh this one's about this guy who's uh, his, he's about to I, I think it, either he or his girlfriend is about to leave for a month in Thailand just after New Year's. And it's just uh, all of the trepidation and stuff uh, on the New Year's visit. 
and there's like his ex-girlfriend that he runs into and just all of this stuff is uh him dealing with that on uh, uh one new year's eve all right so those are all the additions uh what do you figure for our main feature next week well uh the way the list is set up i can see which stack we've uh which stack has had movement most recently and which one has been sitting for the longest. What I can't mm. see, uh, which stack, and, and I guess it's probably pretty hard to tell because some of these are box sets, but which stack is like the tallest and which is the shortest, or I guess as best you can, which ones are the closest to being done versus the furthest. Okay. So, well, it's, it's really hard to say in terms of, uh, closest and for this in terms of tallest i ironically i would say the physically highest up would be the tall t uh which <laughs> is just because it's got inactive stacked stuff beneath the actual active stuff uh because of where it's positioned uh okay. and the, the thing is there are a number of them that i would say are pretty much the bunch that are the highest uh there'd be the one that has two orphan vampires at the top there's afterlife at the top of one uh there's uh i guess uh recommendation for mercy would now be at the top of one of them and uh martha picture stories at the top of one of them and those are probably the biggest ones the thing is most of these sects are replenishing they're, they're sort of the main ones they're the pillars and then when i have new stuff it sort of worked in when i've pulled stuff from those so they're ones that are just sort of frequently refreshing and are not like moving one way or the other oh, okay okay uh in terms of ones that are really close i don't know there are some that are pretty short like uh the jackie exploitation one is a fairly short stack the uh, although i guess it's got some sets in it like that where there are multiple things in it so maybe it's deceptively small uh <laughs> there's uh figures in a landscape is a pretty small one arguably there's not a lot under that uh same for dog day and uh conformista i think is a pretty short one uh yeah i don't know and okay. I, I suppose probably it, when you're talking about like shorter ones it's probably box sets that are the shortest uh arguably Right, and we're almost done both the yokai and the female prisoner scorpion set, if I recall. True, although those aren't themselves stacks. Those are just at the top of stacks. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Hmm. Like the Gamera set is standalone as right. just a stack. Uh, I guess the, the Fast and Furious series is standalone. Uh, so there's, I think... I don't know. The Fast X just came out, or is just coming out. That's the one that sounds like it's a suppository. Uh, but it's <laughs> it's the tenth movie in the series, so I guess there's nine in this box. Okay. okay. <laughs> um. Hmm. You know what? So it just, just... ultimately, I would say that in terms of size, it it kind of is of no consequence. <laughs> I see. I see. Uh. Well. I've always wondered what the tall T is about just because something about the uh, the art. Just a guy holding a rifle, like, cheering, I guess? He's yelling, uh, warning someone. I think I have seen this one many years ago. It's a Bud Bedeker Western who's, 
a pretty important minimalist Western dude in the 50s. Uh, he came from the noir cinema, you know, kind of like uh, we had with the Backlash thing when we talked about Backlash. And uh, I think it was John Sturgis there. Uh, okay. This guy, he comes, you know, from more low budget noir stuff. And he did a bunch of these really low budget Westerns, all with Randolph Scott, who was sort of a classic uh old western dude but he had sort of you know his star had sort of fallen over time so he's on these really low budget westerns but he does these interesting really minimal westerns that sort of reinvent the visual style of it uh as mentioned this set has a quote from sergio leone where he says he stole everything from bud bedeker <laughs> okay <laughs> um yeah let's uh let's check that out all right, the tall T. Uh, that'll be fun. Been uh, that that one's been on there for quite some time. That one's high up in the stacks. Yeah, it's uh, well, first four rows anyway. Yeah, totally. Uh, so that will be the tall T and the chooper, I believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we picked the chooper. Excellent, excellent. A uh, couple of movies set in large. Uh, empty blasted landscapes uh one a western one i don't know an alienation movie (laughs) (laughs) sort of a slasher movie kind of a proto slasher in a way cool okay so do you have any last thoughts before we close for this evening what are are you are you johan in the moped brain uh (laughs) Uh, am I? Uh, maybe. I guess so. I don't know. I, don't know. I think uh. dirt bike. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks everyone so much for listening. And the, the trooper will get you. Watch out. Watch out because the trooper is he's going to get you. The trooper will get you. <laughs>